I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know this is a huge issue in our home environment and in the world collectively. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest threats to not only human health, but all life on earth. So I've done everything I can to mitigate the EMF in my house. And I've spent so much time and energy doing so that I decided to create an entire online course for you about it. It's going to be launching in a few weeks and I'm going to give you an opportunity now to get on the wait list and save yourself $100 on the course. I created this course because I'm extremely sensitive to EMF and I found this out the hard way by living unknowingly under two massive cell towers for three years. I suffered from insomnia, migraines, blurred vision, vertigo, nausea. I was sick all the time. It was a train wreck. And as you know, if you're a listener, again, uh, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I'm very committed to my physical health and and uh, these EMFs just wrecked me. So when I moved into this house, I made a commitment to make this house EMF free or as safe as I could. And as I started to do that, I realized, wow, this is a lot of work. So I went ahead and turned it into an online course. It's over four hours of content. There's seven modules and six bonus videos. It is extremely comprehensive and also entertaining. So we go through the house and we look at all the different sources of EMF from everything from a hairdryer to the you know, Wi-Fi enabled heater to the Sonos speakers to the Wi-Fi router, the electric toothbrush, every biohacking gadget in the house. We even tested the flicker level on the lighting. I mean, it's a really comprehensive home assessment with Brian Hoyer, uh, one of the foremost experts in EMF mitigation. And by the end of this course, you're going to know how to discover the EMF sources in your home and how to fix them. It's pretty amazing. I'm really excited about that. So if you want to save $100 off the course and get on the wait list, here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. That's lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. Or if you have a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. That's all one word, EMF masterclass to the number 44222. Get on that wait list. You're going to save yourself $100 and you will be the first to be notified when the course is released in the coming weeks. Well, hello, friend. Thanks for joining us today. This is a bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance as a guest on Matt Maruka's podcast, The Light Diet. Matt's been a dear friend and a frequent guest on this show for many years, and it brings me great pleasure to turn the mics around and have the opportunity to be interviewed by Matt and to share the interview with you. Be sure to check out our most recent conversation on The Lifestylist, number 333, where we sat down to digest the impact of the Joe Dispenza retreat at which we were both a guest in Florida. We will, of course, be back this Tuesday with another official episode of The Lifestylist. That's number 345. It's called It's All in Your Head, Neurocranial Restructuring for Pain, Migraines, and True Alignment with Dr. Dean Howe. During the conversation you're about to hear, which I found to be 
both fun and meaningful, we dove into a spectrum of topics from dismantling the meaning of so-called conspiracy theories and the pursuit of truth over sensationalism to the internal quantum questions concerning soul-body connections and synergy between spiritual and physical health. What you're about to hear is a truly enlightening chat with one of the brightest bulbs in the box, pun intended, when it comes to millennial biohacking and the benefits of light therapy. So enjoy this conversation with Matt Maruka, and I'll be back at you on Tuesday. Here we go. Luke Story is a former Hollywood celebrity fashion stylist, motivational speaker, kundalini yoga and meditation teacher, world-class biohacker, I can attest to that, and the host of the Lifestylist podcast, which I've been a guest on two times as a guest and one time as a host, maybe the only uh, sub-host you've ever had, or maybe not. Um, He spent the past 22 years developing and refining the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality, while at the same time embracing the technology and modern convenience of urban living. And I can attest to that as well. Using himself as a human research lab, Luke has explored a broad and sometimes extreme variety of measures to obtain optimal health, performance, and well-being. From surviving being injected with poisonous Amazonian frog venom, I hope you had at least some positive experience from that, to enduring weeks of neurofeedback meditation in an isolation chamber, Luke has scoured the earth for the most cutting edge as well as ancient technologies of healing and transformation. Luke has tenaciously applied the results of his field research and used them not only to completely transform his own life, but also the lives of thousands of fans and followers through his various media channels and speaking engagements. As a transformational speaker, Luke continues to share his strategies for healing and happiness to to corporate as well as private clients through his innovative and highly effective YouTube channel and wildly popular podcast, The Lifestylist. Since 2008, Luke has also served as founder of School of Style, the nation's most prominent fashion school for stylists. And he is looking good, as you can see, based on his knowledge as a fashion stylist. So there we go. The Instagram Live is repositioned. So how's it going? Oh, man, I'm doing great, Matt. I'm having having my best life ever. Are you? All right. So I just asked you before we started and we'll cut this up as, as well, probably not going to cut anything. Actually, I'm going to include a lot of that intro stuff. Cause for me, it's fun for people to hear the whole story, but what's been going on. You just got back from Yosemite. Yeah. It's funny actually listening to that bio. I'm, I'm, I was thinking, where did he find this? It sounds like an old one. And if it's not, I need to redo it. Uh, things have changed considerably since that was that was written. Uh, it's funny. It's You never really look at those things. You, you write them because people need them to have some kind of sound bites of who you are. But that was that was funny. Uh, man, you know, Maddie, I, I've just really... First, let me preface this by saying uh, that I have sincere and um, deep compassion and empathy for anyone who's out of work, uh, being negatively affected by this situation uh, right now. Um, But I also am very happy with my life and I'm really stoked. So I don't want to have happiness guilt, but I do acknowledge a lot of people are bummed. So I'm sorry to the people that are bummed. And things could be much worse. Um, but I'm having a great time, man. You know, I live with my girlfriend and my dog, Cookie, and uh, her cat, Harry Gatto. And uh, I have a backyard, thankfully. So I spend a lot of time back there. I get lots of sun and 
doing ice baths and taking saunas and hopping in the hyperbaric chamber and going for hikes around my neighborhood, which, you know, walking the dog because I live in a hilly area is going on a hike effectively, a concrete hike. And so, uh, you know, things could be worse considering. Um, so I'm doing my best to keep up my meditation practice and doing all the things that I can do to stay centered metaphysically uh, in these uncertain times, because of course I have instincts that get threatened like everyone else. And if I'm not careful, my mind will drift into worrying about, you know, a great depression and societal collapse and all those things that have, of course are possible, but aren't happening right in this moment. So as long as I stay in this moment, what I'm doing is I'm on a Zoom call with one of my favorite people in the world. So everything is absolutely 100% perfect. Amazing. I love it. So I know that you recently, well, now it's probably been what, eight months since you moved into your new location? A year and a couple months now. Yeah. I, you know, I had that uh, cell tower apocalypse in my last apartment. And uh, once I figured that out, then I moved here promptly. And so, yeah, it's been a little bit over a year and this is a good step. I mean, I'm still in the city more than I would like to be at this point, but um, you know, with the current situation. It's kind of good just to hunker down. And I'm glad I'm not in an apartment in the middle of the city or something anymore. It's it's nice to be up here, but I think it's still an interim step. But yeah, I've got, you know, I've got a quarter steer uh, frozen in the garage and have a lot of spring water. And uh, you know, steer is a cow? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I found a, a rancher up in, uh, up in uh, Bakersfield, a couple hours from here who does, you know, just humanely raised grass fed, no chemicals, tests for glyphosate and the grass. I mean, like next, next level uh, rancher who raises steers. So I bought a quarter steer. I just picked it up the other day on my way back from Yosemite. So, you know, I feel very grateful to have food and and clean water. And um, I always am like a toilet paper hoarder. (laughs) Like even when it's not doomsday apocalypse, I've always got like paper towels and, and toilet paper out like it's on auto ship from Amazon. They fill every cupboard. Um, I, I've just always <laughs> known that's not the thing you want to run out of. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's good, man. You know, life life is good, Maddie. It's just it's all about perspective. And if things were in the material sense worse for me right now, uh, I believe that I would find a way to be grateful for whatever I had going there too. You know, so if I was in an apartment, man, I would find a way to get on the roof and get some sun. I would you know, I'd be doing my thing there and meditating and finding a way to adjust my perception so that my reality changes. And that's, that's kind of what I'm doing here. So it's been a really nice time to really be productive and uh, get caught up on a lot of things. You know, there's a few less emails coming in and, and some projects got waylaid. A lot of my speaking, well, no, all of my speaking gigs got postponed or canceled. And so it's like everything is good news when you look at it that way. Um, so um, even in terms of you know, watching the the tyranny that we're now facing unfold uh, from the <laughs> nefarious elements of world government, uh, even that is a positive to me because it's causing so many people to wake up that were on the sidelines before and didn't look at anything that would be, you know, considered a conspiracy theory or something like that. But now the conspiracies are becoming so obvious and open that so many people are waking up. I mean, I get I don't know how many, I don't count them, but it's hard to keep up with the amount of instant messages I get like on Instagram every day of people just going, oh my God, I had no idea you were right. You know, 
this is things aren't as they seem, and you know I'm pretty outspoken about my views in terms of um, our sovereignty and basic human and civil rights and things like that. And uh, so it's a really cool time. I think it's we're on the verge of a, a great awakening because it's like you can't put the genie back in the bottle now. People are really waking up to a lot of the deception that has kept us hypnotized and imprisoned. And so uh, it, there's always this you know kind of duality where as dark as things get at the same time, people are lifted up and, and having an awakening. So it's a really, really crazy and interesting and exciting time to be alive right now. I'd like to go into that. I think it's really amazing all the things you're, you're sharing here. And I have to say, you know, obviously I know you personally, a lot of people love your podcast that maybe don't know you personally, but I feel like you are one of almost bar none, the, the most centered and grounded and, you know, just kind of, warm people who I know. And so I really appreciate that. And for anyone who has not heard Luke's background, who's maybe a listener of the Light Diet podcast, I highly recommend you go to the episode where I interviewed Luke that ended up being an episode on his podcast, which was now two years ago in the summer, which is kind of insane um, how time flies. But that's called the Lost Shangri-La Tapes. Luke finds himself on the Matt Maruka show. I believe that's the name of the episode you have. I and have, I had to think of something, Maddie, because it. <laughs> oh, it's great. I think it's a good name. Has anyone else interviewed you on your own show, or was that the only one? Um, well, you know, I, I got the idea. Let me find the uh, let me find the episode number for you. Yeah, let's do that. So, anyone who wants to know about Luke because I don't want to rehash all the things we talked about then. We really went deep into your background, your yeah. struggles, you know, with serious drug addiction and all that stuff. So anyone who wants to know more about Luke, go there, because I want to go to some higher level stuff, like what you just touched on, starting with, well, if, do you have the episode number or do you want to just ditch it? Dude, that was episode uh, 233, 233 of the Lifestylist okay. podcast. And to be honest, Maddie, like, dude, I've had... If, if you add up all the podcasts I've been a guest on and the ones I've hosted, I think I'm up to about 300 interviews on my own show. And I've probably done, I don't know, 100 to 150 as a guest. So I've done hundreds of conversations, obviously, in life, but many of them uh, have been recorded. And that one that we did was one of my favorites. And that's why I, I, I kind of started, it created a trend on my show where I do these uh, rebroadcast episodes that I just throw out with no ads. There's no music. There's no intro. None of that stuff. It's just like, hey, here's me being interviewed by Matt Maruka. We talk about X, Y, and Z. Bing, and then the thing just starts. You know, and I'm. It's not hard to publish a show onto iTunes. I mean, you just like upload the file. Basically, I don't manage my own podcast generally because there's show notes and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's really fun to go do interviews uh, on other people's show and then share them in my feed. You know, it's not everyone's going to be interested. They want to hear from the people that I interview, I assume, most of the time. But there are uh, people that listen that are really appreciative of learning more about me and my point of view. And it has the net effect of turning my audience onto some other great podcasts that I have an opportunity to be a guest on. So it's, it's a really nice synergistic way to support two shows at once. I think that's a great idea. And I'm, I am here to steal all of your podcast tips just so you know. So I will probably do that because, you know, at the core of the light diet podcast, it's my desire, not only to, of course, you know, grow my own brand and, you know, build exposure for my business. But of course, I want to create this as a platform to dive deeper into the specific subjects that fascinate me, you know, just like you did with the lifestylist. And I think a lot of the folks I interview, I'm going to 
they might be similar people like the ones you've interviewed, right? It's going to be a really um, interesting kind of dynamic. But what I've sort of learned throughout the process, it's, is it's never going to be the same interview, obviously. You know, you ask someone questions related to your background perception, and I ask questions related to my background, which is, you know, much shorter lifespan than your own, but different types of things. And I think it, it leads to just so much good stuff. And so I am going to actually try that because a lot of people want to hear more from me. And that's part of this purpose of the show. I'm going to interview Dr. Cruz probably, you know, once a month just to kind of pull a bunch of knowledge from him. I just spoke with him yesterday. And, and yeah, and then anyone else who's really interesting like yourself. So um, when you mention that you have these different views and you're very vocal with them, I'd like to know more about how that actually came to develop. You know, you we talked about your background on the last episode, or, you know, two, year, two years ago episode. Things change, right? But how did you come to this place where you're so open to all these different ideas? And you know, many people call you conspiracy theorist and whatnot, but you're not. You know, you're interviewing people with hard science and data. Like, where you know, how did you get here? Oh my god, I, I would consider myself a conspiracy analyst. And really, what it is, Maddie, and that's funny. If people think I'm that, that's hilarious because I'm I'm so open minded uh, to hear all perspectives. I mean, even every once in a while, I'll. Uh, just to not be in my own echo chamber, I'll tune into one of the corporate media channels and just kind of listen to what's going on in that world. And uh, I would say from my perspective, 95% of the time, it's completely falsified, fraudulent propaganda, but I still like to see what they're saying. (laughs) But that's not to say that everyone in alternative media is right either. It's like, I'm following this and I'm going to get to your question, but I I just want to touch on something interesting in an observation, you know, right now. Talk about anything you want. (laughs) Now I'm following uh, some people with alternative points of view around this quote, end quote, pandemic. Um, I don't even have, I mean, I call it a plandemic or a scamdemic. Uh, because it just, the official narrative is so full of holes that I don't think it's even, you, you can't in an honest way even call it that. But anyway, you can call it whatever you want. But I've been following a few people, different doctors and some and some people that are a bit far out and some that are more mainstream. And uh, I noticed that some of their opinions are so compelling and convincing that I'm I'm kind of, I'll get on board. And that truth receptor in me, that intuition that has gotten better at discerning truth from falsehood will indicate to me, yep, they're on point, they're on point. So I listen to a guy like David Icke, whose perspective is that there is no virus at all and that the entire thing is completely fabricated and that all of these people are becoming ill from other morbidities, comorbidities, and they're being you know, misdiagnosed and death certificates are being changed, which has all been documented. Um, and then I'll listen to someone else like uh, Dr. Uh, Andrew Kaufman, who doesn't even believe in germ theory at all. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's about the terrain, not about, uh, you know, the, the microorganisms, et cetera. So, you know, I'll listen to each one of those and go, wow, this is really convincing. And then I'll listen to someone else who has a perspective that there is a virus, it's a bioweapon, it's man-made, it's patented, like Dr. Buttar, for example, who I recently interviewed. And like, that sounds really true and convincing. So I think it's healthy to take on... Um, information from multiple sources and never make up your mind. You know, that's the thing. Mind like water. That's one of my favorite principles is to always be willing to reconsider your point of view. Now, if I turn on, if 
Fox News, CNN, CNBC, and I listen to what they're saying, everything in my being screams, you are being lied to. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you, if you trace the origins of the CDC and where they get their funding and the WHO and where they get their funding and that they're number two, uh, number two, um, uh, source of funding after the U.S. government, which I think might have just stopped or been cut considerably, is Bill Gates. And then you start to look into Bill Gates and his whole history and agenda. And uh, you look at the suspicious nature of him being propped up by the media as someone we're all supposed to listen to, even though he has no medical training, no medical background, is unelected, has no authority over the populace at all, but has assumed and been given authority. So, you know, I take all of that into consideration. Yet at the same time, dude, it's all it's all theater. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is and which one of those people are right, whether they're from the mainstream corporate media uh, or they're from, you know, having a, a very extreme point of view as someone like David Icke or an Alex Jones or, or someone that's like, whoa, totally off the reservation and completely not buying into the narrative of mainstream whatsoever. It, it doesn't really serve one to, to get attached to any one point of view. What I think is really healthy is to become aware about as many points of view as possible and form your own opinion in that moment, knowing that you're going to learn more and your opinion or your structured belief is going to change. I think that's a healthy way to live your life in general. And it really works for me because it keeps me, it keeps me with one sort of part of my awareness in the matrix <laughs> of the material plane, but also grounded and knowing that I'm not a body and this body might be harmed, but who I really am and what I am cannot be harmed and is eternal. And that's my soul. That's my higher self. And I have to live my life, at least for me, in order to maintain a perspective of safety and security and joy and, and all of those things that make life livable, even in times that are challenging, um, is to be aware, but also know that from a metaphysical point of view, in a quantum sense, that none of this is real at all. Like, you know, it's not like real that it's a virus. It's also not real that it's not a virus. Nothing in this universe in which we find ourselves is real in the sense that our perception leads us to believe it is. So when I stare at this computer in front of me, it looks like a solid piece of glass. Well, if you look closer... Uh, it's a bunch of electrons swirling around so fast that it makes a piece of glass because I believe it's a piece of glass. You know what I mean? Just like I could believe that I'm a body. Well, I, you know, I can pinch my arm and I feel it. So therefore my arm is there. Well, is it, is it really an arm or is it just a, a put together uh, protoplasm that's being held together by some invisible force and taking on this specific form that calls itself Luke's story, you know, and I'm not trying to get too esoteric and far out there, but it's, for me, it's about living in the world, but not being of the world, which is a lesson that I really worked with last weekend when I was in Yosemite doing some, um, uh, <laughs> taking some lessons from our fungal brothers and sisters, you know, and that was, that was my takeaway. That was my one lesson uh, there was that the, the game of the human experience is acknowledging that you've incarnated and that you have a physical form and that you're here to accomplish something, which to me is to raise my consciousness and to evolve and to burn karma, you know, to build positive karma uh, and to burn bad karma from past incarnations. And that I was incarnated this time to do good in the world and to contribute and to be of service 
and to be a light and to leave a trace of positive energy when I leave here. And so there's that part of it, but there's also the eternal and timeless part of it too, which enables me personally to step back and have a good laugh at all of this, even if they're coming to put the vaccine chip in my fucking arm, you know, and I got to exercise my second amendment rights to prevent that from happening. You see, it's all part of this sort of melodrama of the human experience and throughout evolution all civilizations have gone through their own different changes and civilizations collapse every 400 years or whatever it is. And uh, we might be on the verge of having that collapse of Western culture and society and might be about to be taken over by uh, the dark forces of, of fascism and communism, because that's the model that's played out in China and the model that is being followed um, you know, to a T in terms of uh, the, the reaction to this uh, pandemic, however real, uh, or not it might be, you know, so it, it could go down that road. And then that will be, that will be a lifetime, uh, of lessons going that way. There I am in a gulag going, wow. Okay. Remember Victor Frankel man search for meaning. Okay. Here I am in a gulag. Now, how can I sit here with this pile of rocks in front of me that I've got to break? because I, I was a bad boy on Instagram and I post something against George Soros or Bill Gates and here I am in prison. Now that's, that's one direction that it could go, right? So if I'm just a body and I'm just a man and I identify as a white male and I'm Luke Story and I'm 49 years old and I, I buy into that too heavily as being the only reality, then I'm subject to what comes with having that limited perspective of, uh, limited perspective of reality. Whereas if I can be in this world, do my work, pay my taxes, you know, take a shower, feed the dog, <laughs> be as kind as I can to my, my woman, you know, uh, just be a normal guy, try to maintain some balance and some level of humility and modesty and just kind of do my thing and be a worker among workers and serve others as much as I can. Um, knowing that, in the end, like this isn't the final destination, but for now I'm here. So what do I do? How do I play this role without taking it too seriously? And this is my philosophy of life and my motto. So when it comes to like a conspiracy theory or something like that, it's, it's just a different perspective. It's a different way of looking thing, at things, you know, said the fly who walked across the mirror. Uh, you know, as Joe Dispenza says, you don't see things as they are. You see things as you are. I mean, that's all you need to know. So this is where you get in the echo chambers on social media and everyone getting caught up in this indignant self-righteousness and wanting to prove their point and be right. You know, it's all a game of the ego and it's easy to fall into because on one level, you get a rush from being right and aligning with the correct theory, whether it be like, I trust the CDC and the WHO and Bill Gates and they're, they're protecting us. And I believe that is the framework that gives me that sense of security. Well, you know, that's not my sense of security, but I, I'm happy if you have that sense of security and you buy into that framework and that's where you feel safe and happy and uh, in a place of trust, then good for you. That's why we have a first amendment, you know, but that's not where I live. <laughs> you know? So uh, I analyze different theories because I find the human experience so fascinating. I mean, I could listen to a guy like David Icke and I've been, I've been following his stuff since since 9-11, when he was like full reptilian shapeshifter, like that was his message was that these powers that be that run the planet ultimately are not human. And I don't know if he still believes that, but he did at the time. And to me, that was far out, but it was also fascinating because how do I know that that's actually not true? I don't know that. Can I really know that? No. That takes you into the work of Byron Katie. You know, any idea you have, you question that thought. 
is that true? Yeah, that's goddamn right that's true. Can I really, really know that that's true? Well, I don't know. You know, it's just like any information that's that's projected to or, or from your mind is all subject to change. And I believe that there is a universal truth, but our perception of that truth is so often mired by our preconceived ideas, our programming, our indoctrination in the education system, by media, by our parents, by religion, by our culture, by where we grew up, how we grew up, the trauma that we've experienced that's wounded us and, and, um, and, and had us lock into the certain ego identity of individualism and thinking that we are our name, our personality, our sex, race, all of this stuff, you know? So, um, that's my perspective as of now. And you know what? Tomorrow it'll probably be a different perspective, but that's where I find solace and peace in the eye of the needle, you know, in the, in the center of the tornado that we find ourselves in right now. It's like, okay, cool. I want to put out some positive energy. Uh, I, I have taken it upon myself to expose some different points of view. Uh, I'm getting a little bit of heat for it. I, I'm getting censored a bit on, on the Instagram here. Hi, Instagram bots. <laughs> Suck it. Uh, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, you know, I've actually, I've only been censored once, Maddie. This is so funny. I want people to hear this, especially you guys watching on Instagram Live. Um, you know, I, half <laughs> the memes and shit I get, by the way, I don't post because they're just too far out, you know, and I just, I don't want to, I don't want to be like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be too negative. Um, so when I post memes, sometimes like someone might perceive them as being angry and negative to me, they're just kind of sarcastic and funny because they're pointing out the, just the ridiculous nature of some of these things. But yesterday I, I posted a picture of two news stories. One was from like a beach in Florida and one was from a beach in California and they were from NBC, Florida and ABC, LA or whatever it was. And they were the same exact picture on two different beaches talking about the quarantine and people breaking quarantine. That could be lazy reporting or that could be misleading fake reporting. I don't know, but I felt inclined to go, wow, look at this, you guys. Isn't this interesting how there's an error here, whether it be intentional or not. That got censored by Instagram as fake news. I was posting an example of fake news and I got called fake news and they deleted it. And then one of my followers on Instagram, such an awesome person, went and researched who the fact checkers are on Instagram and traced it all the way down to Bill Gates. And the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are behind the fact checkers, PolitiFact, and then another subsidiary of PolitiFact. And if you follow the, the, you know, the breadcrumbs, it leads you to Bill Gates. And so that's interesting. So then I took screen grabs of all that information and posted all those in my stories. <laughs> you know, it's like, cause it's just funny. You can't make the shit up. It's funny. It's funny until we're in gulags and you know, then you have to find a way to make that funny. It's probably, yeah, right. probably challenging. So, you know, maybe just if I wake up a few hundred people, a couple thousand people and get them to go, wow, that's really, that's interesting. Why would they censor that? Well, who stand, who's motivated? Who stands to benefit from stopping someone at the mainstream media from spreading misinformation? And, and you know what? NBC and ABC have every right to spread misinformation. And so do I. And so does David Icke. And so does Alex Jones. And so does Trevor Noah and Anderson Cooper. Everyone can say whatever they want as long as they're willing to take responsibility for the repercussions of that. And I am. That was quite possibly one of the greatest monologues I've ever heard, honestly. <laughs> because you just put together so much wisdom in such a little compact 
bit. So, thanks, Maddie. I owe it all for Acetam. <laughs> I'm inclined to ask you, you know, your actual perspective on coronavirus, but that would not be, I think, the best use of this right now. I'd like to continue down the path you were going on of the idea that, you know, there is a reality of sorts. Some might call it the ultimate re- reality. Some might call it God. And then there's our reality. And for example, as it relates to myself, you know, occasionally, not as often as, as I'd like, but sometimes I'll have these moments of what feels like clarity, you know, true clarity, um, almost some, some level of a taste of enlightenment, right? Whether I'm on a, a long walk and I decide that I just want to slow down my pace and take it easy and the sun's just set and the sky's beautiful or, you know, I'm in a meditation, something like that. I'll get this taste of, wow, you know, what was I just spending the whole day worrying about? I was on phone calls all day. I was like so bought into it. And it's like, what am I even working for, right? You know, I have this business that I'm working on personally and I really want to succeed and I want to, you know, thrive along with or pass competition or at least grow it to the biggest thing I can. But I think sometimes like, you know, what is my actual goal? Because I'll work from practically the moment I'm up to the moment I go to sleep. And I'm just thinking, what am I even, what am I even doing? You know? (laughs) Raw optics, buddy. Yeah. Nice. These are one of the first, yeah. And keep going, but these are one of the first custom uh, pairs. They're prescription uh, that you, you made for me. Thank you for that. They're, they're my pleasure. They're my screen glasses. So they're not for close up and not for far away, but like mid range. So I don't strain my eyes and I always forget to wear them. So thanks for reminding me. And they have the, blue blocking. So back to what you're saying, you're running your company, you're trying to maintain some sense of balance and perspective. Well, so yeah, you, I mean, everyone is the sort of the prototypical struggle of everyone alive. It's like you get bought into this and here I am, you know, every day I'm working many hours a day, often till the moment I go to bed, you know, sometimes I'm not giving myself enough free time to actually sit back and reflect and see what's happening. And I'm asking myself the question sometimes like, well, you know, how do you really balance trying, for example, in my case, or your case, building up your podcast, but in my case, trying to build up a a very large, successful organization and maintaining that perspective, right? You know, it seems like as a podcaster, you've gone through and not just podcaster, but someone running the school of style and running the life of a human being, you know, you've been able to go through this. And it seems like more than again, most people I know, you've been able to both coexist with the Western lifestyle, even urban living, that old bio said, and incorporate into it a certain level of this maintenance of that perception of reality. At least the way you just described it was very, very impressive and and awakened. So how have you, you know, how has that development evolved over your life from the time when you were young and, you know, you're just living your normal life. You know, what was it like being Luke Story as a kid to the time when you were then, you know, a drug addict? And you can talk about that. I don't want to speak for you, but you had mentioned that on our last episode. <laughs> and then to, 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 you know, getting the podcast. And I know you've had your own struggles, of course, with being super busy. And, you know, like you're one of the busiest people I know, you know, you're juggling a lot of balls and, now you're here where it sounds like you've been able, even in the la- just the last few years since we met, it seems to me like you've been able to kind of get more and more and more centered. So how has that evolution, you know, 
moved in your life and and really just how do you try to maintain that awareness and perspective in the life of a human being where you're not just going and living on, in a monastery on a mountaintop, you know? Yeah, well, it goes back to that that principle. And I believe it's a biblical principle, although I'm I'm no biblical scholar, I but believe it is. Yeah, it's something Jesus said. Yeah, that that idea, I've I heard it from David Hawkins, the author of Power Versus Force and many other books, one of my favorite spiritual teachers. And that's this idea of being in the world, but not of it. And that's where you grow to accept that you're incarnated, you're in the material plane, you have a physical body, you're interacting with your physical world, you have to eat, you have to shit, you need to have some source of revenue, uh, you interact with other people who are also in a body. And so you do your work here, you know, you plow the field, you make a podcast, you run the bank, you teach kindergarten, you do your thing, right? So how do we accept our role in this incarnation while at the same time knowing and remembering that it's just a role? And that's not to minimize the value of this life. And and even for people that don't believe that you have multiple lives, although I would encourage people to do some research of basically all of theology and I've never heard of a spiritual teaching or framework that doesn't in some way reference uh, karma in, in, you know, whatever term they use and, and the idea that we in fact have a soul, well, not have a soul, that we are a soul and that we come back again and again uh, to serve the purpose of evolution and, and learning as souls. Um, you know, I don't know that to be true, but based on what I'm about to share with you now, which is really the answer to your question, uh, I have no doubt that in my own experience, that is indeed the case. So here I am in a body. They call that body Luke story. I have this personality, this framework of how I talk, like what I think is funny, what I'm interested in, what I'm passionate about, what I don't like, what I do like, preferences, attractions, aversions, uh, this personality that's been built in the subconscious mind from especially the first seven, but even into the first 12 years of life when you're in that programmable theta state where you're finding your orientation to the world and, and where you fit in and who you are and what you are. And, uh, and so that then gets embodied and you go through life and have different experiences and you take on uh, traumas as you go through life. Everyone experiences trauma of, of some sort. Some of us are put up for adoption. Some of us are molested. Some of us are beaten. Some of us are just ignored. Some of us have car accidents. Some of us break our knee playing soccer. We all have the experience of going, ouch, damn, that hurt, right? And you carry all these things throughout your life into adulthood. And um, and then you start to take on programming of your culture and uh, your socioeconomic standing, your gender, your sexual preference, your religious... Uh, affiliations, uh, things that were imprinted into you by your parents, by your peer group, uh, the city in which you live in, the state in which you live in, the country, the language you speak, the media that you consume, the movies, the films, the books, the art, those all start to build this framework of who you are. And those are all interesting and valid, but at a core fundamental level, aren't truly who you are. And I'll demonstrate that by this. If you take a moment right now, you, Maddie, and anyone listening to this that cares to play along with this little game, sit for a moment and close your eyes. 
and ask yourself, just take a moment, take a breath. Ask yourself, what's my next thought going to be? And then just pause and wait. What's my next thought going to be? My next thought was, how long should you stay silent, Luke? How long do people need to have this experience? That was the first thought. That- Mine was, when is my next thought going to come along? I'm just chilling. <laughs> yeah. So who's the one observing that thought, that phenomenon of thought? Who's the one watching? There's an observer. There's a witness to anything that you do. And this is the true essence of who we are and the one that we become more acquainted with and in touch with and predominantly associated with through practices like meditation, mindfulness, plant medicines, anything that allows us to disassociate. And I'm, I'm saying disassociate in the positive sense, not in, a, in terms of mental illness or recreational drugs or something that numbs you and disconnects you from who you are. But I'm speaking of modalities, teachings, practices, substances, et cetera, that get you more in touch with who you are, who you are as being the one who's observing the mind, who's observing sensations in the body, who's observing emotions that come up. Wow, I just got really pissed off. Ooh, God, I just felt ashamed. I just felt embarrassed. Who's the one observing when that happens? This is the way life is lived before we get imprinted and programmed with an ego and a personality. If you watch a little kid, you know, say age zero to to four, because, you know, depending on that child's experience, and I can tell you a bit of mine, uh, that personality can be formed earlier and become misshapen and uh, 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 augmented or deformed in a way based on a kid's experience. But when you watch a little kid, Every single thing around them is fascinating all the time. It's always brand new. You can't get them to focus on anything because anytime they divert their attention, there's a new experience because they haven't taken on the framework of labeling everything in their environment. They haven't taken on the framework of being afraid of everything in their environment, of trying to avoid harm. They don't avoid harm. That's the parent's job. Don't go there. Watch out. There's a ledge there, right? Before we learn all of that and before we learn our name and who we are and that we're a boy or that we're a girl or that we're black or that we're white uh, or a language, we have the experience of just being consciousness in a body. And it's so interesting if you spend time with the baby, and this is not an experience I have a a lot of, but recently I was um, writing with a baby that... uh, I was going to say belongs to a friend of mine. I guess a baby doesn't really belong to. I was writing to the to the hospital. There was a somewhat urgent situation with a friend's baby who was, uh, you know, born with with a few health challenges that are uh, quite serious. And so uh, he wasn't available. And the mother, he reached out to the mother and you know found out this there was an issue and then called me. Hey man, I can't be there in time. Can you uh, drive her to the hospital? I was like, yeah, man, let's do this. You know, what a perfect opportunity. I love when these opportunities come because it gets me out of my self-centeredness and thinking about me and my life and what I want and what I don't want. So I'm, I'm always happy to be of service. Anyone listening, just contact me. I'll be there for you. <laughs> You'll be helping me if I'm allowed to help you. And that's, that's honest. I mean, obviously no one's going to like hit me up, but that's 
one of the most cherished values in my life is, is service. So I was like, yeah, I'll jump on it. So I sat in the back of this car with this baby who has these uh, apparatus, you know, taped to her. She's maybe one, one year old. Uh, she has holes in her where these tubes go into. They drain. There's feeding things. There's blood all over her stomach. Uh, it, it looked bad to me. And I had to watch within myself that witness observer experience some fear and some apprehension. Not only do I not have a lot of experience being around babies and how to care for them. I was riding in the back seat and the baby was in the baby seat. Um, but I also don't have medical experience. I don't know what to do in the event of emergency, if there's more bleeding or the baby stops breathing or something uh, of that nature takes place. And so I just breathed into my body, stayed very present. And I stared at this baby and her name's Lenny or Lenny, uh, her name's Lennon, Lenny for short. And I stared in that baby's eyes and that baby was maybe the happiest little being I've ever experienced in my life. She was just ecstatic sitting there staring at me, just laughing, smiling. And I looked down at her body, you know, the the vehicle that her soul is riding in, and her body uh, is not in good shape. And mom is, you know, she's been through some stuff. She's become somewhat accustomed to this traumatic experience. And she's cool. She's in the front seat, but I'm really back there with Lenny. And I realized that why Lenny was happy is because Lenny hasn't learned the erroneous belief that she is a body. It hasn't happened for her yet. She's just consciousness still. And she's consciousness that can feel physical pain, but she wasn't in physical pain, despite some of the gore that I was observing, you know, the, the blood and whatnot, right? But it, she wasn't in pain at that moment. Uh, so perhaps she would have been crying or something like that, but there was no fear of death because she doesn't know that she's alive yet. She has no reference of self yet. Uh, just like in a sense that a, that a small animal, uh, might be suffering because they feel pain and they have sensations in their body, which are signals from their nervous system that they're in harm's way or that they have to seek help or, you know, to signal the healing that will take place in that body. But they don't know, oh, I'm a dog named Cookie. And she doesn't know that she's a baby named Lenny. She's consciousness staring out at me going, wow, this is fun. Who's this guy? And I'm looking at her going, man, you are my teacher. This is it right here. However, that baby, just like the baby that I was and the baby that I still am, that still lives inside me in a sense, has the opportunity then to develop a personality, to develop ideas, perceptions, beliefs, an ego, so that it can take care of itself and protect itself. And so it's not about staying in that place of innocence and ignorance to the complete experience. It's about growing through the experience and taking on an intellect, the analytical mind, taking on rational thought, taking on uh, an understanding of your instincts and impulses, but also keeping one toe in the water in terms of that field of consciousness where that baby was living all the time. And she's going to grow up and she's going to go to kindergarten and she's going to learn that she's a girl. And then she's going to learn that she's a little white girl. And then she's going to learn on and on and on, right? That she likes ballet or playing with toy dump trucks or whatever her trip is, right? And then that personality gets the full expression that it was here to have because it's karmically destined to have that particular life experience, being born in the place she was to the parents that she was, et cetera. So in my own experience, to answer your question in, in kind of a reverse 
uh, format, it's, I remember what it was like before I knew what I was or the whole picture of what I was. I remember that feeling of freedom and ease. And I also remember having tragic, painful, scary, confusing experiences as a kid, uh, five or six years old. And when those happen, I also remember disconnecting from my heart, from who I was, uh, and also having my ability to uh, develop in a healthy manner and to build a personality as an identification and know who I am and have a sense of sovereignty and safety and the ability to uh, seek counsel and care and nurturing from the adults in my life. Uh, all of that was very disrupted. And so uh, due to some uh, abuse, you know, some trauma that I experienced and uh, it's quite, quite serious really in retrospect and really shaped my whole life. Uh, but what happened with me is, as I started to identify with the personality, with the body, with the mind, with that trauma, uh, there was an imprint that gave me a misconception and a warped view of myself and of what life was all about. And so uh, that view and that way of perceiving the world and interacting with the world was so painful and uncomfortable. And there was so much shame and an unresolved hurt that I turned to drugs and alcohol because the awareness of my place in the world and the experiences that I had were too painful for my psyche to take on and to compartmentalize or to contextualize. So I discovered rock and roll and I discovered drugs and I found my own medicine. You know, this is before you got taken to therapy and put on psych meds and stuff like that. And thankfully, I self-medicated with drugs that I think were, for the most part, less, uh, had fewer side effects than did um, some of the drugs that they give kids now. Uh, and then, you know, that led me to really disassociate from my true self that I was observing in that child in the car the other day and became completely and solely aware of the false self, the personality, the ego, uh, my thoughts, my feelings. And I became imprisoned by that limited experience of only part of the picture of who I was uh, to the point where I shut down any awareness of anything other than that until I was 26 years old when I eventually, as you know, from our last conversation, got sober. And in the experience of sobering up and, and hitting this rock bottom and having this surrender, I started to explore spirituality. And for the past 23 plus years now, my life has been committed to becoming more fully and wholly integrated so that I have an awareness not only of the thoughts and the feelings and who this personality is, who this egoic instinct-driven character is, but also the observer of all of that phenomenon as a life. And that's come, as I said, through the modalities of meditation and even within the past couple of years, plant medicine experiences, etc. Exploring myself as consciousness in addition to the body. And so that goes into where all of the biohacking and the health practices and all that uh, to me, just serve the purpose of keeping the energy field of the physical vessel as fortified as possible, to keep it as around as long as it's supposed to be here with enough life force, mitochondrial energy to do what my soul's mission 
is here to do, which is to mature and evolve as a spirit, as a soul. And to have the energy and the ability to move throughout the world with as much vitality as possible so that I can advance as far and as deeply in the human experience and human school and earth school as is possible. And that's the framework of a life that's worth living in. Within that comes the delicate balance of being in the world, answering the emails, making the online class, booking a retreat, the next big podcast guest, you know, sitting down on a Zoom with Maddie, making sure I find, you know, quality time to spend with my girlfriend, cooking dinner, ordering food, walking the dog, doing the human stuff. And at the same time, while I'm doing that, doing it with some degree of awareness that I am a spiritual being that's willingly and happily participating in this sort of theater stage play that's called my life as Luke's story. Wow. Nice birds you have there, by the way. Yeah, they're called meadow larks. They're really amazing. I'm glad you can hear them. They just... They go all day, yeah, all day in the evening. And honestly, like, uh, I'll actually twist my computer later, maybe towards the end, so the people who are watching this can see the view. But I don't know if you guys on Instagram can sort of focus on the outside of there. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I look at, it looks like a foggy day, and like, yeah, it does. It's it's just the light won't focus, right? But it's like a, uh, yeah, it looks like a foggy day, and like in in the uh, in the in, um, what am I looking for? Like in the. Uh, in Ireland or somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, where you just can't see anything. So there's a lot, there's a lot there in what you just shared. And I really appreciate you kind of unwinding through your own life. So much of that is so central to what really fascinates me. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on as a guest because, you know, a lot of <clears throat> what we're going to be talking about on this podcast is going to be science and it's going to be, you know, stuff that's in the world, right? Stuff that is related to strengthening the physical vessel. And sometimes it's easy to get caught up in like what Jack Cruz is teaching, you know, and worrying about not getting enough sunlight or getting too much EMF. I think that one of the most valiant and powerful acts a human being can undertake in our life is that which you've undertaken, which is that spiritual journey. You know, it's not necessarily easy, but it it is how you can reach a a life that's really, truly worth living. So I find a lot of just real wisdom in what you shared there. One of the things that came to my mind that I really would like to ask you is, you know, you have, again, so much experience of your own, and then you've interviewed so many experts. And all of that, I think, must come together to make such an interesting person. I mean, I know you're an interesting person, but if you just imagine, you know, as as we each are sort of an energy field, a being of energy, right? When you're speaking with Joe Dispenza um, or Bruce Lipton or Dr. Barry Morgillon or Byron Katie, you know, some of the most enlightened, wise people in the Western world, you've probably spoken to a large percentage of the top, you know, 10 or 20, right? And their energy field, you know, sure, verbally, they're able to convey sound waves, like from an energetic standpoint, right? That That is a being of light, a soul in a physical body that is using their vocal cords to project out vibrations in the airwaves that hit these receptors in your ears, what we call ears, which create electrical impulses in your brain, which sort of cause your 
being of light to resonate in a, in a way that is just slightly closer to theirs and what they've been able to uncover through the things they've interacted with. And, you know, we each take that in and we refine it. And so you having been able through your podcast and your experiences to speak with so many people, it's like, obviously people want to know what does Joe Dispenza think? What does Byron Katie think? But as someone who's spoken with so many of them and with your perspective and your background, like, what do you think is really the ultimate reason for this podcast is like, what does, you know, when I say you, it's funny when I had written down the, a couple just question ideas to ask you, I was going to ask like, what is your background or who are you? And I realized, no, 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 wait a minute. It's got to be who is Luke's story because who are you? You know, you're a spiritual being as a book I read. Uh, ben Greenfield recommended me a great book called Soul Keeping, Christian-based book about how to take care of our soul. Amazing book for anyone who's interested in that kind of thing. You don't have to be Christian or Presbyterian, whatever this pastor was. But he said that you are an unceasing spiritual being in God's eternal universe or something like that, right? So it's like, I, I shouldn't ask who, who you are. I want to ask who Luke's story is, but we kind of want to touch both, right? So when it comes down to it, after speaking with all these people, what have you really come to believe um, as it relates to, for example, starting, you know, you've touched on a lot of that already, but let's say someone's sick in the physical world, right? Or even like Viktor Frankl, they're being tortured every single day and their feet are slowly frostbitten uh, and rotting away and they're starving to death. That was a lot of interesting stuff that you just shared. And obviously we just had a little bit of a Instagram live change over here. But what I was getting at, you know, and I, we can keep in some parts of that last sort of question slash statement that I was kind of getting through. But as I was saying, you know, you have been shaped through your own experience and you've spoken with some of the most interesting people in the world, right? So I'd like to know your thoughts on many different things from that context of what you've learned and how you've actually integrated it into your own being and your own soul and your own beliefs. Starting in addition to what we've discussed already with if you have someone who's actually uh, sick, right? Or someone like Viktor Frankl, who's actually physically in massive pain, right? Horrible, some of the worst pain you can experience, or even someone who's being tortured. Forget about someone who's just sick. I mean, keep them in the, in the mind, but someone who's being tortured, that might be a little extreme, but any of those cases, you know, how do you make light or make sense of how someone can do their best in that situation. You know, and in another sense, what I'm trying to ask is if I'm physically sick, right? Like I'm struggling, I have a bad headache, right? It becomes very, very hard to consider the spiritual life. You know, it's like, I have a bad headache. You know, I can't be thinking about spirituality and stuff. It just becomes so hard. You know, it's easy when you feel great. It's like the world's amazing and I'm such a being of light. So how do you reconcile these things in your mind? You know, because of course you have struggles too. And how would you recommend someone who is struggling with a, an illness or some real suffering try to kind of do their best to push through that? It's so funny, uh, as you indicated that everyone has struggles, one of mine came to mind, and this is not to minimize people with real struggles, but you know, subjectively, 
each of our human experiences are as bothersome or troublesome as the next, right? So I think uh, Bob Marley said, every man's burden is the heaviest. Yeah, exactly. It's one of my favorites. And, you know, I don't know if that's entirely true, right? If someone is imprisoned and tortured daily for 50 years, I mean, is there is there trauma or suffering um, equal to someone who is the middle child and doesn't get any attention from their parents for 50 years? You know, it's, that statement is extreme, but what (laughs) I'll get, I'll get back to that. But the thing I was kind of laughing about this morning is that I went to bed around uh, probably about midnight last night, which is typical, but unfortunate. My dream is to someday go to sleep at 10, but uh, you know, it's taken me 49 years to get there. Um, And then at 5.30 AM, girlfriend's cat, Harry Gatto comes and somehow breaks through the border wall at the top of the stairs that I built and is now scratching on the door and meowing as loud as like a baby lion. You know what I mean? Just ear shattering through my earplugs, just completely wakes me up. I get so pissed off. I'm just have this rush of cortisol and adrenaline. I am so pissed, dude. And now I know that I can't fall back asleep I'm not going to make any melatonin because I'm flooded with cortisol and adrenaline. I'm just completely awake. So I try to listen to my, um, my new calm, like neuroacoustic thing. I put on the little thing, you know, I like have all my hacks, my, my spiked, uh, mat, you know, that, that helps you fall asleep. I do all the things. I'm totally pissed. Um, I'm like kind of guilt tripping my girlfriend who's half awake and, you know, like being all pissy and kind of stomping around. So she knows how pissed I am to like punish her for having a cat that woke me up. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's right. It's just through a little bit of self inquiry. I'm aware that that's what was taking place. And, and so in that moment, my experience really sucks. And again, people have worse problems. Okay. Some people, you know, <laughs> Don't have stairs for a cat to come up to or a girlfriend laying next to him to get pissed at or whatever the case may be. Uh, But that was my reality. And in that moment, I'm going, Luke, where's all your spiritual shit now? Like, where's Mr. fucking quantum manifestation change, change matter by going into the wave? form and all this stuff, you know, it's like none of that comes to mind in that moment. Although I I'm aware that I'm not doing that. And so eventually I just came to a place, which is where we're going to get to in answering your question of surrender. And that was a deep acceptance of the fact that I had indeed awakened at 5.30 AM with five and a half hours sleep, which for me is not the optimal hours of sleep. Although one could say if you were truly to apply the quantum model that you could build a belief that's strong enough that you would feel completely vital and energized with five and a half hours sleep. So, you know, the way that you think about things affects those things. So I'm, I'm getting there. I'm aware of that as a possibility. But in that moment, I'm going, okay, I can't change this reality. I've, I've, I'm, I've met a resistance here. Uh, I'm in, I'm in a fight mode. I'm pissed. I, I want to change this reality and go back to sleep. I can't. I've met my 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 uh, my match there, right? And so it brought me back to the principle that will get anyone through anything, and that is the principle of surrender, of realizing in that moment, on a deep level, 
It's fundamentally, there's nothing I can do to turn back the clock and make the cat not have done that. It already happened. And whatever's going on in my body and my nervous system is not allowing me to sleep. And then I was able to observe the projections of, oh, now today's podcast with Matt is going to suck. I was supposed to work on my book today. I'm not going to be able to do that. Why is the cat more important than me? So my girlfriend cares about a cat more than me. What about my life? I'm a human. That's a cat. You know, all of this war going on inside my mind. I'm fighting a war with myself in my mind with all these thoughts. I'm observing that though. See, that's the key. While this negative experience is perpetuating, there's also a me that's watching that happen. And that's the key distinction. The me that's watching that happen is going, hmm, okay, what do we do in this situation? Surrender. Surrender. One might think about surrender in a very limited capacity or in a short-sighted sense in that, well, surrender is then you just lay there and suffer and just allow yourself to suffer. No, there's surrender, but then there's surrendered action, which is making a decision out of that surrendered place to stop fighting, to stop arguing with my perception of reality. So one choice there in that moment is to go, you know what? Yeah, I think, you know what? We need to have a talk today and the, we got to do this with the cat and we got to move and now my day is going to suck and da, 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 you know, I just go into war mode with things that I have no power to change. This is the serenity prayer in action, really. The, the, uh, uh, the courage to change, or how's it go? Uh, <laughs> Grant me the serenity Accept the things I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So the wisdom in that moment that was applied was, I definitely cannot change this. I can't put the planet back in a different place so the sun's in a different place. We're toast. The courage to change the things I can is, I do have the power to change my perception of the situation by surrendering to it as the reality and then taking the next indicated steps of action that are going to turn this around and turn it into a net positive. So looked at the clock, realized that I could catch not the sunrise exactly, but you know, 30 minutes after sunrise, some good morning light. I'm going to go up there and do breath work, which I did. I listened to a podcast about, uh, about the, toad medicine, which I've been gearing up to participate in this weekend. So I'm studying up a bit on that experience. And um, and then while I'm up there, I'm, I realize I'm tired and I saw some of those thoughts still come in while I'm doing the breath work, looking at the sun, listening to the podcast. Some of those thoughts were like, oh, today's going to suck, man. You're going to be so tired. You're always tired when you only get five and a half hours sleep. Right, Luke? Your day always sucks when that's the case. So it still was building a case of circumstance based on past experience of what my future was going to be. And so the surrender isn't just, okay, yeah, I'm going to have a shitty day. The surrender is, all right, I can't change what has happened, but I can change my reaction to it, my perception of it. And so I came home and uh, went into my oxygen chamber, (laughs) sitting there for 90 minutes, had kind of a quasi nap meditation, popped out at 9.30, did my juve red light therapy on a vibe plate, I had a biocharger session, did an inhalation session of molecular hydrogen gas to offset the oxidation from the oxygen. And that's the whole thing. And then got in the ice bath and worked out, then came in the house. And rather than giving my girlfriend attitude, who, by the way, is completely innocent, she didn't do shit or giving the cat attitude. I, I had a decision. I remember the exact moment I was walking in the steps and I was like, all right, right now I have a choice of being passive aggressive 
and punishing my girlfriend for something she's innocent of, which is not only dumb, but also mean and very ineffective (laughs) in terms of building a healthy quality relationship. And my inclination that I had surrendered into was, ah, there she is. There's an amazing, beautiful, stellar woman that you love so deeply. Go give her some love. That's job number one is just hug her and love her and tell her how much I love her and express it and open my heart and, and really value her. And I uh, did that for a few moments and then you know, went about my business of making my coffee, my elixir and all that and uh, you know, gearing up to do this podcast. But see... What made that possible, that's, that chain of events that now has led to the most amazing day ever. I mean, you, I, you probably sense I'm pretty happy, right? Yeah, you seem stoked. This was supposed to be the shittiest day ever because my mind told me a story about what happens when you get awakened unexpectedly and abruptly at 5.30 a.m. with five and a half hours sleep. My mind has a complete script for how things are supposed to go. But there's also an awareness and a consciousness that's observing that plan and that idea that surrendered into the experience and changed the experience in the material plane by going into the world where there's no form, going in where there's energy, where there's a wave, there's not yet a particle, and getting into that realm and changing the way that I'm going to have this experience. And when I change the way I have the experience, the experience itself changes. And then my mood, my whole day, everything's just been roses since then. The reason that was possible is twofold. One, because I've practiced for a while, not perfectly for sure, but I'm getting better at keeping an awareness with one foot in this world and one foot in in the other world, meaning the physical material world and the quantum world of non-physicality, non-linearity, right? Of consciousness, of awareness, and playing in both of those and keeping one foot in one and one in the other, and also building a practice of being able to incrementally surrender into the present moment. So when I was pissed off and all agitated by the cat meowing, it was actually moments after the cat had stopped meowing. So why am I still agitated? Because I'm living in a past moment when the cat was meowing. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now I'm reliving the cat meowing and I'm torturing myself. Meanwhile, the cat's downstairs eating some tuna, living his best life. Has no clue what I'm tripping about. He's the spiritual master that's teaching me how to live in the moment. He already forgot about the fact that he was bummed because he couldn't get in the room and come snuggle or whatever he wanted, right? So how can I be like the cat? You think animals are stupid, man. They have it figured out. <laughs> they, they have no choice but to live in the moment, right? So to someone who's sick, to someone who's suffering, and this is going to be more or less challenging based on the degree to which one is suffering, obviously, like dealing with the meowing cat is different than dealing with laying in a hospital bed with cancer, getting chemo, watching your hair fall out, or being imprisoned or tortured, or any of those you know, extreme cases or situations of, um, of, uh, discomfort and suffering all too common by the way, with cancer and that kind of thing. So, but the same principle applies. I'm going to challenge anyone, uh, on this to, to really give it some, some consideration that my suffering is experienced to the degree with which I leave the present moment in the exact present moment. It's impossible to suffer. 
It's only in the anticipation of the next micro moment or the regret or frustration with the moment that just passed. And in effect, there really is no no now. There's just one long, 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 infinite moment. And each felt experience is a minuscule, microscopic timestamp in that continuum. And when I attach to one of those timestamps in the continuum in which I experienced something I did not want to experience, in so doing, I suffer. In a surrendering to the moment, 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 as it happens, the mind is free of a story or a judgment about that experience that causes the suffering. It's not the experience that causes the suffering, Maddie. It's my interpretation and my experience of it, of that moment. And the information that I gather from that moment and the story I tell myself about that moment. So if that cat had screamed at the door and scratched on the door and broken through my wall as it did, and I had the thought, oh my God, isn't that beautiful? The cat loves us so much. That is so excited to come in here at 5.30. It can't mm-hmm. wait. 7.30. And it's circadian rhythms on point. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you should be taking cues from him when he goes to sleep. Exactly. Well, you could add that. Isn't that amazing? My teacher, my spiritual teacher, this amazing, you know, albeit domesticated cat still knows, <laughs> yeah, still knows the, sun is, the sun is coming up. And that cat, Harry Gatto, is coming to teach me how to how to manage my biological protoplasmic organism that is my body. And he's coming to express his God energy, his loving energy to me and my girlfriend. He wants in here so bad. The only difference between that experience and my experience was the perception and opinions I had about that. So it's not about necessarily changing the, ex- the, the external circumstances of one's life, but learning how to incrementally in the moment through that process of surrender or surrendered action to change my perception of that moment. And this goes back to your headache. This goes back to, you know, you lost headache, by the way, just an ex- you get the idea <laughs> of, that you gave of, of a headache, an arbitrary headache. Uh, this goes for everything. And what will happen is the mind will try to wiggle out of that, that fundamental truth, that axiom, that principle that, yeah, okay, well, that was just a cat, but what about when? But what about when? The mind actually enjoys suffering because many of us are addicted to suffering. And so when the analytical mind hears a spiritual axiom that defies logic, it has a hard time grasping it because spirituality lives outside of logic. The analytical mind exists in a different plane than does spiritual truth. The mind can ascertain and interpret spiritual truth and build a framework around it and intellectually understand it, uh, thereby uh, building the uh, uh, exercising the ability to apply it in one's life because it does take mind and intellect really to conceptualize an idea like that and then to apply it in your life. But they really live in two different dimensions. And so because the mind is addicted to the repetitive pattern of suffering, because it's addictive to inertia and what's familiar, the mind, and anyone listening will see this, will actually argue with the whole demonstration that I just provided, which is that our experience is created and shaped by our interpretation of it, not by what's happening. 
And that's a fundamental, absolute spiritual truth. And what will block that experience for any one of us is a, yeah, but what about when? Yeah, but, yeah, but my situation's worse. Yeah, but their situation's worse. And, you know, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I'm not not a Christian, but I, I wouldn't consider myself religious in, in any way. I've, I gained so much from all the different frameworks of teachings. Uh, but I guess Christianity is the one I've been most familiar with just because I'm a dude living in America in the 1970 through 2020. Uh, but this is the, the fundamental sacrifice of that surrender that, I mean, I think it's mythology. Personally, I don't know that this actually happened because you'll find this mythology throughout many different religious systems, but the idea of being, you know, nailed to the cross and surrendering and making that sacrifice was all about surrender and was all about perception. So this, this, whether it be true or whether it be a fable, this phenomenon of making that sacrifice and the ultimate surrender of one's physical life of overcoming the personality and the drive of the animal nature of the ego to live and surrendering oneself is the ultimate demonstration of what I just described of contextualizing this opportunity as a gift to teach the greatest lesson. And so if the mind goes to the place where just like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but, and I'm not trying to convince anyone of everything. Like if you believe you are your mind and all you are is a physical body, man, more power to you. I'm not, I don't proselytize and try to get someone to believe what I believe. That's, futile and just so dumb. Like, why do that? Everyone needs to come to their own realizations. I just share the things that have transformed my life and that have not completely eliminated, but drastically reduced the amount of suffering that I experience in my life. And when I do suffer, it's shorter and shorter in duration all the time. The thing that happened with the cat this morning, 10 years ago, that could have fucked my whole week. I'm not even exaggerating. Definitely the whole day. I would have just been like, okay, who am I going to punish today? Because I, somebody needs to pay. <laughs> First the cat, then my girlfriend, then anyone I run into, they're going to get the worst of me because that's what feels good when you're suffering. You think at least, or so the ego thinks, is to share that suffering experience with as many people as possible, as profoundly and deeply as possible. Uh, so this formula, I know from subjective experience, works. And when the mind argues with it, think of the most extreme example and how people throughout history have had accounts of tremendous suffering, irreversible suffering that they've been able to transform and alchemize into the most profound transformative teachings and lessons that they've not only integrated into their own experience, but also documented and passed on for others to follow. So in summary of your question, out of all the brilliant people that I've had the opportunity to interview and oh my God, what a life, dude. I mean, who, how could you win the lottery like I've won? I mean, all those people you mentioned specifically and, and many more, of course, but those ones, it's like getting a PhD in how to live life and, mm -hmm. and how to make it mean something, how to have a life of meaning and purpose and how to really alleviate much, if not all of the suffering that one experiences along the way through that framework. And what I'll tell you is, Maddie, after, you know, not only interviewing all these people for the past uh, almost four years, but just all of the books and audiobooks and going to India and sitting at the feet of masters for 23 years that I've been not only a student, but now a teacher in some respects, uh, the answer is always the same. It's that all windows lead into the same mansion. So no matter what 
principle or fundamental truth you uncover and apply in your life, meaning spiritual truths, truths of the the, the other realm, uh, they all say the same thing. That we suffer at our own hands and that the the um, escape hatch from a life of suffering is in changing the way that we perceive. And there's a bunch of different tools to change the way you perceive. I mean, you could devote your life to a daily breathwork practice and I believe you'd become enlightened from doing that. You could take ayahuasca a few times a year and do it like that if that's your path. It's not everyone's path. You could do uh, Vedic meditation or TM or guided meditations or journeys or any kind of shamanism or really great psychotherapy with or without psychedelics even. I mean, the, the ability we have now to access transformative information and apply it, ways that we can enter into the subconscious realm of ourselves and access consciousness and affect change on a deep and fundamental level so fast is unprecedented, at least in recorded history. The resources we have available now to transform yourself, there's no excuse to be unhappy. There's just not. And if you are, it's because you want to or because you haven't been karmically gifted enough, uh, perhaps, or had the grace to hear a message like the one that I'm delivering today. And it's not a message from me. It's a, it's a message that's been delivered to me that I've applied and, and proven in my own laboratory called My Life, which is one that's been marred with devastating suffering, failure, and pain for a long, long time. And so I truly believe that any person can overcome any adversity by applying spiritual principles. First, you've got to be lucky enough to hear them. You've got to be humble enough, and modest enough, open-minded enough to give them consideration and then to apply them into your life, to use them, not as an intellectual construct, not learning more information. More information unapplied is just clutter. But taking that information as someone like you do, obviously, and applying it, learning and going, huh, that's interesting. Let me see if this works. I'm going to go do it. And you go do it. And then you go, I'll be damned. Shit, this works. What else can I learn about and apply? You know? And, and I truly believe the human spirit is so powerful, Maddie, that any one of us can access that will to live, that will to serve, that will to not only receive, but then also to express and share love, you know, to live a life of compassion, to live a life of service, to live a life of um, contribution. You know, this is possible when your cup's full and runneth over, you have no choice but to share. And the only reason I'm sharing with you is because you asked me some questions. If you called me and you, you didn't ask me any questions, I wouldn't tell you anything. We just shoot the shit. Honestly, you know, I don't, I don't proselytize. There's a, there's a principle in the, in the 12 steps. Uh, and it might sound like I am sometimes because I'm so passionate about what I've discovered. There's a principle within the, the framework of the 12 steps um, that's called uh, attraction rather than promotion. And I, and I really love that. It's, it's about keeping your own side of the street clean and minding your own business. And not trying to force a horse to drink water, but also not excluding horses from the water trough should they approach thirsty. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. 
Hey, Lifestylist Soul Fam. I am Luke's fiance, Allison Charles, and I wanted to officially invite you to come on over to experience my brand new podcast called Ceremony Circle. It has been an incredible labor of divine love. So many lifetimes in the making. I truly waited for the calling to come in, the divine instruction to enter, telling me that I was indeed to create a podcast. And it's been one of the most beautiful journeys of my life. Ceremony Circle Podcast is an immersive experience where you will be held in totally safe and sacred space for you to come just as you are and receive some of the highest blessed divine healing energetics and transmissions from spiritual masters, teachers, and shamans from all over the globe. They very generously share personal stories of their awakening path. And my absolute favorite part, at the end of every single Ceremony Circle podcast episode, you can immerse in an actual ceremony facilitated by the guest. So we've had everything from past life journeys, guided from hypnotherapist Yuri Lee, shamanic voyages and drumming and sacred singing circles, healing instruments like the Monalini, crystal sound bowls, womb healing guided meditations, you name it, no matter what the spiritual healing experience, we are sure to cover it on Ceremony Circle. A new episode reveals every Friday, and I truly look forward to having you join us and creating the world's largest Ceremony Circle gathering. And now back to the interview. There's so many things that come up when you're sharing all of this wisdom here. One thing is that the Light Diet Podcast, even though it is focused on the biologic effects of physical lighting and whatnot that we see and don't see, one of the steps of the Light Diet, as I describe it, which I haven't put into a formal form yet, although I've mentioned it on many podcasts, but I'm, I'm working on a guide. One of the, the last step is to cultivate our inner light. So all of the first seven steps more involve kind of how to manage our light hygiene within the modern world and other things like eating seafood as a base of the diet to improve our body's utilization of light and doing cold thermogenesis to improve our body's own production of light and that sort of thing are all a part of that. But cultivating the inner light is, is such an essential piece, if not the most important step, that this, what you're sharing, it just struck me, this is exactly what that is. It's really working out the kinks in, in our soul, essentially, you know, that, that are preventing us from being able to see things clearly. I've, I've read in, in some, some book somewhere that you could almost look at the soul as like a straight line. And whenever you sin or you take on a erroneous belief, it almost creates a kink in the soul. And that's there until you face it. And facing it's the hard part. And so one of the things that, that really just kept almost ringing in my ear as you were speaking through this is, you know, when a struggle arises, even though in the physical world, it's a struggle, it's actually the opportunity to undo a kink in our soul or to unwind a erroneous belief that isn't in line with reality, that if we never had that opportunity, we wouldn't be able to undo that. So that to me was just like pounding, pounding, pounding. I'm thinking, wow, you know, and I need this. I needed to speak with you about this right at this time on this day, because 
personally, you know, as I mentioned, um, I've been really, really zoned in on my business and especially since, you know, the coronavirus, this is practically the longest I've been in one place still for the last two and a half, three years, basically since I graduated high school. And it's probably been the best thing for me because I've been still, I've been able to identify these, you know, things in my own life, but also I've gotten just so zoned into working, working, working. And it's without giving adequate time to practice something of some kind or take long walks, it's so easy to just buy in to that, into the physical world, right? And not into the world of the reality, the spiritual world. So as you were talking, it was really funny that actually a test of my fortitude or my willingness to surrender actually just popped up on my phone, you know, because I'm I didn't turn off do not disturb. So I just saw a little ping of a message from someone and it was only the first line. And um basically I, I haven't even read the whole thing yet because I just pinged up and I slid it away, but it wasn't particularly welcoming the first line. Basically, uh yesterday or the day before, I messaged someone asking them to do me a favor. Um and I won't get into really the details, but it was someone I haven't spoken with in a while, but I do have a fairly close relationship with. And, you know, I must have, when I asked the favor, been so disconnected from reality that I wasn't like, hey, how are you? How's everything going? You know, I, I'd like to ask you something. Do you think you'd be able to do this for me? I think I probably sent it off. And I don't remember because I didn't look at it right now. I probably said like, could you do this, this, and this for me, please? And like no, you know, human to human care, right? I, that's probably what I did. I don't know. Um, anyway, the, so the person responded to me. Basically, the first line was something to the extent of like, if this, if you were anyone else, like I would basically tell you fuck off, something like that. Yeah. And I'm like thinking maybe it was a joke. Again, I don't have any of the context. But for a second there, while you were actually talking, I was like, because I didn't mean to see that. I didn't know I was going to see that. But I was like, I just bought into that hard for the last like you know, for like five, maybe 10 minutes, I was like sitting here listening to you and then thinking like, man, like I fucked up. Like I feel really bad about that. Now, after that, so this is just like a prime example. It's such a small thing, right? But as the time went on, I'm like, wait, apply what Luke's teaching me. So this is a field test right now. I was like, wait a minute, you know, I'm being the observer. Like Matt is like, like my stomach dropped a little. I felt bad because I was like, I don't even know what I said, but it must've been really bad shit. Like, I got to solve that and apologize right away. And I hope that's enough. But it was like this moment of just getting so attached. And again, like you, meanwhile, you're talking and I'm just hanging and I'm still hearing everything you're saying, but I'm like, whoa, action. This is at play in my life. And that's such a small thing, right? Like this is someone I know I'm going to, whatever it was that I actually said, I'm just going to apologize and, and do my best to not do that again. And things are going to move on, right? But it's like that moment... That almost certain things can feel like the world's ending, you know, when your cortisol gets pumping, it's like the small things can feel so um, profound. So to me, it's like what you're sharing is such a is such a wise reality and truth that is the reason I think this is so important is because I think it is the core struggle and mission of every single human being on earth every day of their life is this exact struggle that we're discussing in so many different ways of manifesting. I really like what you said about that straight line of the soul and then these, oh, I guess... Kinks. 
kinks or false assumptions or defects in our character, uh, erroneous beliefs, ways of thinking, believing, acting that cause us friction as we live our life, that those are the nudges from evolution that give us an opportunity to correct our course. And I really do think that's, that's why we are here. And when we are not aligned with truth, uh, so for example, you know, you sent that text and perhaps the truth that you weren't aligned with there was just having some self-awareness or just taking a pause, uh, thinking in an altruistic, um, egalitarian sort of way with someone, right? Where everyone wins, everyone benefits. You're thinking about, you know, all composite parts of the whole as one, uh, not just like, okay, I need this thing. What do I want? And I'm not, I'm not putting like a guilt trip on you because I'm sure you totally. care person and you do anything for them because you're a really loving guy. But let's just say there was a lack of awareness or just not really slowing down and not being thoughtful, not being present, something like that, right? So the beautiful thing about those parts of awareness is that you'll see where perhaps... I don't even really believe in mistakes uh, because if you... If you use mistakes as lessons, then they're not a mistake. <laughs> See what I mean? But let's just say you... Uh, how, how, how do I put it? I'm trying to think of a way to kind of reframe it. You know, I don't want to say you made a mistake because you didn't. Uh, let's say that um, you behaved in a way that caused some discord or friction within yourself or within your relationship with another person. And you became alerted to it through your own awareness or through someone else coming back and saying, hey, like that was a little off to me. That didn't really resonate, whatever the case may be. The, uh, the thing to look out for there is when you become aware of that, to think of it not only as a mistake, but to fall into the guilt and then on a, in a deeper sense, the shame that's associated with that guilt. And this is a really tragic spiral for someone who's building self-awareness and, and really wants to evolve spiritually and wants to grow in their own maturity as a, as a person, right? Is that when you make a mistake, it's the acknowledgement of it and what I like to call just a decent regret. It's just like, ah, oh, man, I kind of wish I hadn't done it that way. Not, I'm such an idiot what a piece of shit. Oh my God, I'm so stupid. I'm so selfish. What do they think? They're never going to be my friend. You know, that the slippery slope of guilt is that it can then turn into shame, meaning that guilt is about something I've done. Ah, I made a mistake. I, I sent that text and it came off as self-serving or self-centered, right? The shame is not that that was a bad move, but that I'm a bad person, but there's something wrong with me, not something wrong with that behavior, or that expression of me, but fundamentally as me. And when we get caught in that spiral, that sort of, you know, rat wheel of making a mistake or even just succumbing to a temptation, let's just say, right? Like, I'm not going to drink tonight. And then I drink, not even speaking alcoholically, just whatever. Like, I, for me, it's like eating sugar and gluten. Like I do it. And then I'm like, you loser, you talk about on your podcast all the time how you shouldn't eat this and here you are. Mm -hmm. And because I'm able to observe that and unravel that and discard that, then I give myself permission and I love myself and I go, yeah, but it was delicious. Enjoy, you know, bon appetit, Luke. Get ready for the diarrhea that will so ensue mm -hmm. as a result of your uh, dietary choices. So it's like um, in a situation like that, having the awareness that you have is so beautiful because that's just a signpost or an indicator that you just need to be a little more present when you're sending a text. 
And if you are inherently, you know, going through the world in a competitive mindset, uh, in a mindset of selfishness and self-seeking and self-centeredness, if that was part of that, uh, which of course is part of the human experience, all of us have that happen um, periodically. Some of us more than others as we, you know, evolve past that state of, uh, you know, being run by our instincts and those drives. Uh, but then there's a there's a correction to be made. So there's no mistake. As long as you can avoid the guilt, you can avoid the shame, you can dip into it quickly in terms of just inventorying it yourself, applying self-honesty and self-awareness and say, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. What's the nugget I can extract from this interaction so that I can evolve and not do that anymore? And then that thing that used to be a problem ceases to be a problem. And then you discover later more subtle expressions of falsehood within your personality. Let's say you don't do that anymore, but then you find yourself being sort of inauthentic and fake and acting like you like people that you don't really like because you want them to like you. You see what I mean? It's like you're going to dig down deeper and deeper through that self-awareness and you're going to find more inauthentic parts of yourself if you're willing to look and you make a practice out of that of improving your life. So there's a balance between doing the best you can, acknowledging mistakes that are made, learning from them, and then also observing how much progress you make. So I'm someone that used to like drive around LA, Maddie, so enraged. I actually kept bolts and stuff in my car to throw at people in their car. I would keep fireworks in my car to shoot at people driving around Hollywood that pissed me off. I mean, you know, I know there's more psychopathic people than that, but I mean, that's like the mind that I lived in was just constantly, my brain was just on fire and I just had to hurt people, even if it was in an insignificant and kind of passive aggressive way like that. But that's the mind. I was just at war with everyone. So, you know, as I started to become aware of that rage and that anger and that sense of hostility and resentment within me, just living in that energy field, then I moved up into maybe like self-consciousness and insecurity, which is a step up from being an abusive asshole, but still leaves room for growth. And then you move up through that and the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and, you know, eventually, I guess you don't ever finish the race per se, if you're still in a human body, but you are able to evolve through those levels of consciousness to where the place that you operate from, the energy field in which you oscillate and vibrate uh, becomes higher and higher. And when you're oscillating energetically at a higher level, you suffer less, period. I mean, it's real simple math. You know, so if, if you're not on a spiritual path, it's just because you don't know you're on one, but you're on one, not you. I mean, everyone is on one. That's what this life is, is a spiritual path. It's just some of us know it and some of us don't. And we're all eventually going to know it because we're going to suffer enough, I would presume, uh, to start seeking a deeper level. And I, and I want to cover, I know we've been going for a while. I don't know how long your freaking show is supposed to be. You know, if you get on with me, it's going to be long. Um, there's no time limit. So I'm I'm just so passionate about life, man, and all of its gifts. I really am. But I, I wanted to tie in the light and the physical piece. You know, this is this is a huge part of spirituality, as as I'm sure you're aware, and many of your listeners will be. And if you go into the ancient practices of sun gazing, of watching the sunrise and the sunset, and getting that juicy red light, and the effect that it has on your uh, really the seat of your soul and your brain, your pineal gland. 
right? And its ability to produce serotonin and then the metabolites of that being melatonin and the sub-metabolites of melatonin, one of them being dimethyltryptamine. And I'm, you know, I'm sure I'm speaking, preaching to the choir here, but the physical realm does enable you as an antennae to become more finely attuned for spiritual perception. You know, the, the human mind, the, the brain rather, the mind being more of a universal mind, but the human brain to me is, it's an antenna. It's a, it's a cell tower, <laughs> to use a really gross analogy, that's pinging out information and receiving information in. And part of what makes that possible is the piezoelectric effect and the metabolites, again, that are produced by the pineal gland. And that, what runs the pineal gland is light. And so, yeah, man, if you're someone who suffers from depression and you're pissed off all the time and you're irritable all the time and you just heard me explain all of these principles and ways in which you can change your life and they pissed you off because you're just like, fuck, that's too hard. I'm too depressed. I'm too obese. Uh, I, la- I don't have the energy. I have too much anxiety. I have insomnia. I can't sleep. Fix your light and watch what happens to your mood. You know, your, your hormones and your neurotransmitters that make it possible to stop and pause and meditate, to find value in the inner journey and to be able to explore that as an option alongside with putting money in the 401k, having a couple of kids, getting the house, upgrading your car, taking a vacation, you know, all the human stuff. You can do all the human stuff, but man, it's really hard to apply the spiritual part of yourself, the higher self, when your physical vessel is compromised. And to me, so, the light is, is the number one thing. Light and temperature. It's, it's all the, the, the problem that we have with the body. It's super simple. <laughs> we're domesticated. We're outdoor animals. We're human apes. We're outdoor animals. We're meant to live our entire life outdoors. But we were gifted with a prefrontal frontal cortex that gives us rational thought, creative thought, that allows us to build structures that we can live in that are much more comfortable and much more safe. You know, the natural environment is not safe. It's very That's true. And so I'm, you know, I'm very grateful that we have light bulbs, that we have internet, that we have AC, that we have heat, we have automobiles, we have air travel, we have ships. I mean, what a gift, right? To be able to incarnate at this time when we're able to actually stay safe and out of the way of predation. And some of us are so situated, we can actually stay out of tribal warfare if we're lucky enough to be incarnated in a country that's got some firepower at any given time. I mean, if I was in Syria right now, I'd be telling a different story, but whatever my karmic inheritance was, it allowed me to be born in 1970 and live in California right now where I'm only under attack attack from my own government, not others yet. Point being (laughs) is that all of the issues that we encounter physically that lead to premature death and illness are rooted in our disconnection from nature. We, we breathe processed air through our uh, AC and, and, and heat system. We live behind fake light, behind windows. It's not real light. Light doesn't do that in nature. The spectrum of light, as you well know, created by windows. We're inside cars. Again, we're behind windows. We're in an office. Again, we're behind windows. 
Uh, we're, we never get hot and cold because our world is always 68, 70 degrees. If we're, again, so situated in a developed country and we, we have the means by which to regulate temperature, but we've imprisoned ourselves in a human zoo. And when you take any animal out of the wild and put it in the zoo, what happens? It develops diseases that don't exist in the wild. You feed it kibble, right? You, drink, you feed it chlorinated, fluoridated water. Uh, it doesn't interact with nature. Its gut biome gets wrecked because it's not interacting with soil and microbes in the air and on the land and in the food that it eats, right? It's like everything we do in our modern lifestyle is the antithesis of natural. And so all of the biohacking, all of this stuff that so many of us are into, to me, it's, it's only just barely accounting for the delirious effects of living in a house and in a car. <laughs> it's like if we could go back 15,000 years and eat real food on the land, real wild food, not hybridized, industrialized, agricultural food. But if we could go back and have to chase down our food and collect and hunt and gather our food and live outdoors in the weather and in the light, we'd be having a completely different experience. That said, I don't want to go back there. I like a house. I ain't trying to go live in a teepee or an igloo or you know a mud hut or whatever. I'm cool. Like, give me a bigger and better house with more AC, please. Like, I got my Uller upstairs. I keep my bed nice and cool, the exact temperature I like. I mean, everything's dialed in, but it makes us complacent and it makes us docile. It makes us lazy and programmable and easy to manipulate because we've lost our spirit for true survival and our harmonious relationship with nature. So the biohacks and all the stuff are just like cheating our way back to living outdoors under a proper magnetic field with my magnetico sleep mat. You know, everything I've got everywhere around her is something that happens in nature. I'm just magnifying it or making it using technology because I've elected to not go live in the wild. And really there's no going back because there's chemtrails, there's there's the harp system, there's radar, there's satellites. You literally, no matter where you live on the planet, there's no going back to 15,000 years ago. You just can't do it. And so you have to surrender to that. And if you so elect to, you can fine tune your physical surroundings and, and lifestyle and diet and body and your light environment as you so you know wisely teach uh, to get as close as we can to how we're supposed to be and maybe make up for some of the negative effects that we've experienced from the day we were born C-section vaccinated into a blue lit EMF room. Yeah. Oh, also circumcised. Some of us. <laughs> don't forget. What was that last piece? Don't forget about circumcised too. Some of us. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's no party either. Psychologically. So my goal with the podcast I didn't even think of it right now, but ultimately what I've actually wanted to do since learning about Dr. Cruz's work and then maybe Ram Das and Jesus Christ and so on is to combine the things that, again, mostly Jack has taught me from a Western science perspective with Eastern wisdom. And I thought my whole last few years, I thought... you know, I was going to say my whole life, but really it's like the last few years. Um, you know, I've got two decades under my belt so far that I'll have to wait a long time till I can work on bridging that gap between Eastern 
wisdom and Western science and, and knowledge. And I'm talking the advanced stuff, not like Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci, you know? <laughs> um, so I'm realizing that that's what this podcast is. And the, the name, The Light Diet is like a double entendre because it is the light diet of our light hygiene exposure, but it's also like the light diet of eating that which is not of the earth, you know, eating the spirit. It's like a spiritual diet, essentially. And diet, you know, doesn't necessarily, although it typically refers to the food you eat, it can be extrapolated to refer to that which you consume, you know, the toxins and so on. So for this reason, having you on the show is so, so powerful because you're one of the people who I can resonate with the most being part of the Western world and, you know, a white male in this Western society and, and whatnot. And, you know, you have the one foot here and then you also have a foot in the Eastern wisdom from your research and, and interviews and so on. So what I'm trying to do, obviously myself, just like you are, is figure out how I can move from, you know, being in the physical world to being more in the spiritual world and being able to optimize both. So there's so many different questions I could ask you and I'm just so enjoying listening to you share all of your wisdom. I'd really like to know, you know, when it comes, for example, to a personal level, like for me, and I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with, um, you know, me sharing my story, even though most people aren't a 20 year old running a, you know, business that's really growing and doing quite well, I would say, um, given my lack of, um, you know, college degree or business school or anything like that, you know, that is in one way a struggle, right? It, because for me, it feels like I have the weight of the world on my shoulders a lot of the time and I have, there's competition and, you know, it's, it's easy to get sucked into that, um, dog eat dog kind of mindset. Right. But that being said, many people probably would look at me and say, well, you, you've, you're stoked, man. You're 20. You know, even if you, if this business fails, you have all the tools you need to start a new one and to be financially free. And, you know, most people would probably opt if they had the choice to choose my place rather than their own life. But then if someone were to get there, I think they would say, I don't know if this is what I want, because in many ways, the path of having a secure income and having that predictability is the reason why nobody goes down this path in the first place. You know, it's easy for someone to say, oh, I'd love to have the, what, you know, the opportunity you have and a business and this and that. But it's like, well, you know, you can, you actually have to work and work really hard for it. And there's no guarantees and it's going to be a struggle and you might cry over it sometimes and you might sweat and struggle. And, you know, it's just, but then again, like you said, it's like compared to someone who's in the gulag, it's, this is a pretty, it's a pretty sweet deal. So for both my own personal uh, desires, but also for everyone to be able to understand you know, you're thinking on this. We've talked a lot of these theory, this kind of theoretical, but also very practical stuff. How do you recommend moving forward? You know, like what are the practices you really recommend people engage or what are the things that you have found in your journey are really the most useful in creating this consistent level of 
you know, ability to respond positively to the struggles and challenges that come into your life, right? You've personally, the, the most interesting podcast I've ever listened to ever, any episode was Dr. Barry on your show, Barry Morgulin. I remember listening to that and just having goosebumps all over my, my skin. I was with my, I was with a friend in, in the end of a long car ride where we had our car uh, road trip from like Austin, Texas to LA. And we went through Boulder, Colorado. So it was like pretty long. We spent a lot of time together, butt heads a little bit here and there, but overall had a great time. But um, one of the things I came to realize in that, you know, car ride is that uh, I would, because of my sort of indignance, I don't know if that's the right word, but sort of frustration with the world and the way certain things were going for me, this good friend of mine who you know, wanted to go on this road trip and spend time together, I would actually like try to punish him. You know, like the way you said you felt with your girlfriend just for a second in the morning. That's what I would do to my friend very passive aggressively as if he were responsible for my not being happy or something, which is couldn't be further from the truth. You know, only wants the best for me. Um, and so I realized as I was listening to Dr. Barry on your show, I, I had this like overcoming like wave of emotion and realization just from getting the energy encoded in Dr. B's voice waves practically, you know, cause he talks about how just by listening to his audio tracks and courses, you can get the energy, even if you don't do the practices, although it's better if you do. Um, you'll get more results. But so anyway, that must have been something like what was happening or, you know, for a more logical, scientific-minded person listening to this, it was just triggering off certain paths of thinking in my brain that made me stop the podcast. And I basically apologized to my friend right there, even though it was like the hardest thing I possibly could have done. But as you know, you know, you you get to this point where you... I, to me, it's like, when you apologize for something, it opens your soul up in the most beautiful way where you just feel like so like a levity, so light and amazing. And not only did did I just apologize to him, but he kind of opened up to me back because he had felt, of course, that's some sort of strain as well. So he opened up himself and started telling me, he's like, man, like I'm, I'm concerned about you. You know, like you're, seems like, and this was like over a year ago almost, or about a year ago now, he's like, it seems like you're struggling. You know, you have been bouncing around all the world, over the world. You you don't really, you know, you're doing great with your business, but you don't really have a sense of like what you want to be doing necessarily um, besides that. And so, you know, he encouraged me to focus more on my family. He's like, just, this is a kid I've grown up with my whole life. He's just like going from his intuition and his mother's a Reiki healer. So he has a really powerful intuition, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And that led me to make better decisions uh, or certain decisions, like to go to a family reunion that I wasn't going to be going to because of a, like a speaking event in Poland. And I kind of like, canceled that and changed plans. And it sort of led to this whole cascade that sort of, in, in many ways, changed my life and changed my priorities to focus and put more strength, effort or emphasis on the importance of my family, just because of you interviewing Dr. B that one time. So that was really, really powerful and life-changing for the last year. Um, anyhow, and that's just one of multiple unbelievable spiritual teachers you've been able to learn from. So I'd like to talk a bit about the things you've learned from these teachers. But before we go into that, the other thing that was really burning on my mind while you were last speaking, and I kind of drifted off was, you know, one of the other reasons I'm doing the Light Diet Podcast, in addition to Eastern wisdom meeting Western science and whatnot, is because let's just take the example of like a morbidly obese man or a morbidly obese person who is listening to this talk about the spiritual quest, Right. Someone who, I'm just, just taking morbidly obese. You could also say someone who has like a severe chronic headaches or something that really makes it hard to really be present, right? 
I, some people in the spiritual world might disagree and say, you know, anyone can achieve a high level of enlightenment, right? Anyone can do that. And to be honest, I wouldn't disagree with that sentiment that anyone can achieve, can make advancements on the spiritual world. But based on what you were saying, that the physical body is sort of like this antenna for us to be able to, you know, send and receive signals along with our spirit, right? So if your body is trashed, right? Let's just say you're an indoor office worker who's under artificial blue light all day long. Um, you never get the sun, right? Like your body isn't going to be that of a an ancient human. I guess what I'm trying to say is I have half a mind to believe that just because, just by the way that our ancestors lived, like, like a, a wild animal of any kind, just by being out in full spectrum sunlight, moving, breathing fresh air, having a bonfire, an infrared fire every night, if they were maybe in a cold climate, you know, singing, dancing, playing the drums, that these people may have just lived in a higher elevated state of consciousness, like that which Joe Dispenza brings people to with his exercises, just by default, you know? And so I think a lot, I almost, in my life, there's almost this constant, um, not dilemma, but two opposing forces or opposing things that I'm trying to bring together, which is the teachings of Dr. Cruz and his unrelenting focus on optimizing your physical environment to optimize your physical state. And then there's the spiritual side and, you know, encouraging people to just do more meditations and practices and energy practices. And part of me thinks like they're both right. You know, they're both, they both have lots of truth to them. But if someone is ridiculously sick from a physical perspective and they practice meditation and, you know, TM all day long, I think Jack might argue that they're not going to necessarily get very far. They might start to realize, oh, I'm super obese and I should make better decisions for my health. So they do, there is a nice interplay, but it's like in that state of destroyed human physicality, I wouldn't be surprised if it is a lot harder to make certain levels of, of spiritual advancement, right? So to me, it's like the most admirable thing we can do. Cause you know, my goal is just to try to figure out in my life, like it sounds like yours is too, what is the best that I can do with this life? Right. And you essentially said the same thing earlier that to me, it's like, I want to optimize my physical vessel above and beyond such that maybe I don't even have to try hard to meditate and do energy practices because my body's just going to be so tuned in just from being connected. Now, we know that in the modern world, and I was born C-section, and I was conceived in vitro, and I was vaccinated, and I was fed some formula, not not all just breast milk, right? So, and I had all these health issues a lot of my life. Um, I am not necessarily going to be able to just get optimal, right? But I'm going to have to do both. But why not try, right? That's kind of my thinking. Why not try to do everything I can? So there's this idea that I'm really overcome with that. And, and I don't know the answer. That's why I'm so interested in speaking with these people. You know, how do we balance the, or really, what is the interplay between optimizing our physical health? Like Dr. Cruz is so adamant on if you go to the tropics as a human being, you know, the environment we have evolved in, tropical sunlight, equatorial sunlight, strong magnetic field, and the tectonic plates in the East African Rift Valley, where there was this magnetic strength from the three plates that met there, and then the sun, and then the consumption of seafood and good quality water, we're able to just function at a higher level. So I'm so driven by that because I kind of believe that just by doing these things right in the physical side, you'll be able to achieve a certain level of default, high-level consciousness, energy, 
mood, excitement, mitochondrial function, and so on, that if you were a sick person who practiced, you know, Joe Dispenza's work all the time, you might not necessarily be able to achieve. Now, I'm not sure of that because I haven't tested it myself. I haven't spoken to a ton of people who have been ridiculously sick and tried just using a breathing type of practice. Obviously, Dr. Dispenza was horribly injured and was able to heal himself with his practices. So it's clear that there really is sort of no fine boundary between what the spiritual and breathing and mental work can do and what the physical work can do. So that's just something that interests me. I don't know if you want to comment on that, obviously, but, but then the question was the other question, which is more about, you know, with all the people you've spoken to and all the things that have bounced onto you, what has stuck, you know, what do you practice? And of all the Joe Dispenza, Byron Katie, Dr. B, you know, is there anyone whose teachings you resonate with the most or have you taken bits from all of them? And, and what are those primary bits in your daily existence that drive who you are and, and how you try to advance in the spiritual and physical realm? For the first part of that, I'm going to do it in two, two bite-sized pieces that will be about 45 minutes each. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't think there's an either or 100% of the time in terms of, do you start with the physical stuff or do you start with the spiritual stuff? Uh, I think that there's something to be said for obviously improving your light environment, the things that you eat, the things that you drink. If you have a brain full of GMOs, MSG, aspartame, uh, what are some of the uh, seed oils? You're full of inflammation. You're living under blue light and flicker light. You sleep next to your Wi-Fi router. It could be pretty difficult to meditate. Well, you know, let me just, I'll cut in here. I realized as you spoke back to me, my own sentiment that I made a fundamental error in thinking, which is the root of the misunderstanding, right? There's this idea that if you have a lack of understanding. It's just, it's on my part, right? It's, it's just my lack of understanding. It isn't that there's something wrong with the reality out there, right? What, what I realized right there as you spoke is there is no spiritual and physical. It's actually just all spiritual. At least that's, what's, that's what I got when you, right as you were saying back, you know, the, the way light affects the body. Sure, you could argue it's maybe more physical than spiritual, but really it's, it's not because if even all of the matter in our body that we would call the physical self is ultimately energy just slowed down and condensed. You know, that's all of Einstein's theory. So in a sense, at least what I just, it almost just shown through to me, like a total download is like, Matt, it's, it's all spiritual, you know? So all of the stuff you do that we would consider physical is actually serving to enhance it. So you can be doing the stuff that's considered spiritual, spiritual all day long. But if your physical, spiritual stuff is totally out of whack, like, there's a lot of improvement to make there too. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my own experience. So I'm 26 years old. I'm yellow. I weigh 135 pounds. I'm 6'2 now. I probably weigh 185. I mean, I probably got an extra eight pounds on my gut because I like ice cream and I don't like working out all that much. But I'm um, 135 pounds, I'm yellow, uh, all I eat is just fast food, um, it's just completely a train wreck physically. And so, check myself into a drug treatment center, 
because there was something in my spirit that just knew that there had to be more to life than abject bondage and suffering. And that I had this sliver of hope that there might be some sort of higher power or energy that was benevolent and could somehow help me because I couldn't help myself. So I set about not to heal myself physically, but to heal myself spiritually, or so I learned. I thought that I just had to eat right, do yoga, become a vegetarian, um, go to the gym, stop doing drugs, uh, you know, like don't eat fast food. I mean, I, I kind of had the basic idea of it. And I thought that if I could get well enough physically, that then my thinking and my emotional life and ultimately my spiritual life would get in alignment. And so I set out working uh, from the outside in, like get healthy physically and then the rest will follow suit. For me personally, and that's not to say that 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 methodology or that sequence wouldn't work for someone, because of course, um, you know, if you have a lot of health challenges and you improve your environment and your health, you're just going to feel better and be more motivated perhaps. But for me, Maddie, it was really in uncovering the negative thought patterns that I had, understanding how to transmute uh, painful emotions, which caused me to suffer, uh, understanding that there was a purpose in life, coming to the experience of learning how to meditate, how to breathe, how to associate my daily life with a higher power, learning how to pray, reading spiritual literature, listening to spiritual audiobooks, really focusing on the overt part of myself, spiritually speaking, like the part that we would contextualize as purely spiritual, not physical, uh, leaving out what you just described, which of course is true, that it's all ultimately spiritual. It's just a matter of how fast the waveform is oscillating that takes you out of physical into non-physical, right? Back to light, of course, right? the visible and invisible spectrum of light and how fast that waveform moves. So I tried, or at least vainly tried to fix myself physically thinking that that would make me happy and that I would be fulfilled and I wouldn't be so sad and depressed and angry and anxious and hate myself and be completely enveloped in this shame uh, life experience that I had created for myself. What I quickly found was that the motivation to exercise, the motivation to do yoga, the motivation to eat higher quality food, uh, the motivation to get outdoors, uh, to take care of myself physically was difficult to access when I was still so spiritually sick and had so much shame and so much unresolved trauma. So in my own experience, it's like the physical health and sense of well-being on the physical level has always trailed behind the spiritual growth because out of the spiritual growth comes the healing of trauma and the up-leveling of self-worth that's inherent to that healing of trauma and that carried shame, which usually is attached as a result of trauma, right? As a kid, you go through trauma and then you build the shame pain body around that experience because you have no means by which to contextualize that or understand that. So it's internalized in a self-hatred and comes out as an eating disorder or a drug addiction or whatever, right? So by really diving into my childhood, getting into therapy, which is also to me, therapy can be and should be also spiritual. 
uh, because you're really looking at yourself objectively, right? And you're healing yourself from the point of the witness because you're sitting there with someone who is also a witness to you and your shit, right? And so they're able to say, hey, Luke, did you ever look at it this way? And then you step out of yourself with a good therapist and you go, oh, shit, I see that thing in myself that's manifesting, right? So all of that, all of those different ways of healing, uh, learning how to meditate, etc. And really, as I said, studying the great spiritual teachers throughout the ages, uh, that is what got me to the level where then I could go, you know what, God, I'm you know, starting to like not hate myself as much. I'm starting to not hate other people as much. Maybe I should go get a few colonics. I heard that's good for you. And then I do that. And then I learn over there, they have this thing called an infrared sauna. And I go, huh, what does that do? Well, it detoxes your body. Well, shit, my body's probably very toxic. Why would I care about a toxic body if I don't care about my life, if I don't care about myself? So as I began to straighten out spiritually and, and find a deeper meaning and purpose of my life, that's the thing that motivated me then to start working on myself physically. And then, of course, there was the pendulum swinging the other way that if I could just biohack my life enough that I would be emotionally well and spiritually well and would be happy and would achieve some degree of fulfillment, which of course is a fool's errand because you can have a six-pack abs and a perfect tan and perfect digestion and eat all the seafood you want. And if you're still a resentful, hostile person that doesn't know how to disconnect from their thought life and doesn't know how to express love and receive love and you have childhood wounds you haven't overcome, man, you're never going to be fucking happy. I don't care how physically fit and sorted you get and what morbidity or chronic illness you overcome. It's not going to fix your heart. So the healing of the heart and healing of the mind on a metaphysical and spiritual plane is always going to facilitate a physical healing because you're doing that work on the subconscious. You're doing that work in the non-physical realm. You're doing that work on the quantum level. You're healing subconscious programming, subconscious trauma that you're not even aware of that's running you. That makes you attack people on Twitter or argue with your wife or be a dick to your employees or resent your employer, that, that way of thinking and that perpetual negativity can't be solved from eating oysters or grass fed steak or doing CrossFit or being carnivore or whatever. Like those are things that have to be observed and worked on on the non physical level, whether it be from meditation, from ayahuasca, from whatever. You know, uh, for me, the second part of your question has been being motivated by the emotional pain and suffering that I created for myself to really completely and wholeheartedly surrender my life to a spiritual understanding, to an operating system that's based on devoting my life to God, devoting my life to service, devoting my life to my own evolution, that came out of emotional, physical suffering. And that's where the dedication was sparked to really go full on, to really let go of my old life, my old ideas, my old way of thinking, feeling, to really open my mind and gain some humility that allowed me to become receptive and teachable so that I could listen to Alan Watts. I could listen to Ram Das. I could listen to David 
David Hawkins. I could uh, read spiritual books. I just set out to absolutely unequivocally brainwash and spirit wash myself with truth to displace the falsehood that I had previously lived by. So it's not about getting more information. It's about getting rid of the bad information. It's not about filling up your spiritual hard drive with more data. It's about deleting the corrupt files. And the more I was able to do that and continue to do that, the more I care about my sleep, the more I care about what I eat, the more I care about my EMF environment, my blue light environment. It's because I have a sense of purpose, a sense of self-worth, a sense that I have a mission that I'm here to execute as a spirit. And I need this body as my vehicle to fulfill that mission. If I didn't have a mission, then I guess I could be motivated by fear of death or by the suffering that's inherent to living a life in a body that's diseased or disordered. But for me, the spiritual came first and then followed the desire to actually respect and honor the body. But that's not to discount the idea that, yeah, if you start to take some steps to feel better and have more metabolic energy, that you're going to be able to go on that yoga retreat or learn that new meditation practice or you know, you, you'll be less irritable. So maybe when you're taking a road trip, you'll put on a spiritual audiobook or a podcast rather than listening to a true crime thing or, you know, whatever, listening to the news or something that's kind of more negative or destructive. You might start watching documentaries that are inspiring rather than watching, you know, slasher films because you feel better physically, you have more energy, you know? So it all, it all goes together. And really, I think ultimately you nailed it when you said it's all spiritual because it is. It's just a matter of uh, whether you're still in the world of, um, you're in the world of matter or you're in the world of pre-matter. But it's all spiritual because it's all within the context of creation. It's all part of the majestic universal expression of God that created all of these realms that we have the opportunity to work within. So it's just a matter of like, what dimension do you want to travel to and focus on in any given time? It's not that one is bad and one is good or one has to come before the other. For me personally, at this point in life, I just do everything to the max, you know what I mean? As best I can, giving myself some allowance for getting pissed at the cat and having a gluten relapse, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. It's, it's not about perfection. It's about making progress on the path, knowing that you have the self-honesty to acknowledge that you're never going to be perfect. And when you do achieve perfection and you're still in a human body, get ready because you're not going to be here long because then there's no reason to be here. Except those rare beings that incarnate as a mystic, a sage, a saint, and remain embodied in order to teach inform, demonstrate, model for those of us that are at an earlier stage of soul development, what the path is and how to do it. But very few stick around. Most entities in a human body eventually turn to light. When they reach, you know, there's no accident, it's called enlightenment, right? Back to your premise. Uh, you know, the saints of, of old and in India and uh, every tradition you study, there's accounts of people just 
essentially evaporating into light when they reach a certain level of consciousness and there's not even a body there anymore. They just turn fractal and just go back into light. Sounds crazy, but study enough Hindu Vedic text and you'll find it all over the place. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's all working toward the greater good for me if my underlying intention is to discover and execute the will of whatever it is that created me, which I choose to call God, that there is a divine order that exists universally that I can discover and become aligned with that's going to facilitate my healing, my maturity on all levels, be they physical or metaphysical, that it's about setting that intention that I'm here to do some fucking work this time. And I mean business. And that work that I'm here to do is to find a fuller expression of love toward first myself. And as I embody enough love for myself, which love is light, when I embody that light, that's the magnetism that then is able to radiate out from me as one single point of consciousness to affect the whole. Whatever part of the whole, whatever individual pieces of that whole that are embodied in others care to stand around that particular source of light because there's many sources of light. Each one of us is a source of light. It just radiate a different spectrum at our different levels of development. So I'm here to develop and mature spiritually. And the purpose of doing so is for the fulfillment of my potential. That's it. How far can I go in one lifetime? And that's why there's nothing else that's important other than that. And part of how far can you go is how much can you love? And and your version of going far and loving fully can manifest in any occupation. You don't have to be a spiritual teacher to be a spiritual teacher. Some of the most profound humans I've ever encountered in my life are the most average, ambiguous souls you could ever hope to run into. A bus driver, a a housekeeper, um, an auto mechanic, captain of a fishing boat, you name it. And some of the spiritual teachers put out tapes and put out books and do retreats and have a YouTube channel. And those are great too. And perhaps I'm evolving into one of those. If that's the will of that energy source that created me. And I'm always checking in and asking, what is your will? What is your will? What am I supposed to do? I'm done doing what I want to do. When I do what I want to do from the place of ego, from the place of personality, I'm going to be motivated by the body and the animal's survival instincts and drives. And when I'm controlled by those and motivated solely by those, because I think that's what I am and that's all I am, I'm going to live a life of discontentment and I'm going to have, generally speaking, a more negative effect on anything and anyone that I come in contact with, the environment, culture, society, my interpersonal relationships, etc. I don't have to go out and fix the world. I just have to continue to work on myself and the radiation from that self-love and that self-work is going to reverberate into anything and everything that I come in contact with. And in that is a fulfilling life. 
that's a life where even when you experience pain, you don't have to suffer because you understand the purpose of every single lesson that you go through. And it is just that it's a lesson. And you go, wow, wow, this lesson is, uh, causes a lot of uncomfortable sensations within my body. This body is feeling this thing. I'm not experiencing anything. It's this body. The mind is doing this thing and I'm observing this phenomenon of mind. So I'm still, still have a mind, still in the mind, still have a body, still have feelings, still have emotions, still feel it when I hit my finger with a hammer. But I know that it's not all that I am. There's something bigger, something greater, something timeless there that I'm able to operate from and still be in the world and do podcasts and do all the things without taking it so goddamn seriously. It's definitely, they say it's a practice, right? Because <laughs> you're always practicing and you're never perfect. Um, you said that love is light and the soul is light. And that's actually how we ended our last podcast when we were sitting at that little table in the hotel in some random corner of London, which was pretty cool to be able to all be over there and hanging out and having a good time. I just want to reiterate, you know, now that we're on the subject here, sort of in closing that one of the key findings of the researchers in photobiology is that even from a physical, scientific, cellular level, our cells still communicate with light. So high frequency light. So mitosis, the cell division is stimulated by little pulses of ultraviolet light. Stressed cells leak more light than a healthy cell, which retains its light better and has stronger magnetism from a physical standpoint. And even when we die, we actually leak that light out and they've actually measured that. So it's just like the idea of the soul leaving the body. So it's no surprise, right? And, and the thing that really, I want to say flummoxed me, even though I didn't realize it was a question I was consciously asking, was what is love? You know, Because love is one of the most foundational terms in our human realm. You know, All you need is love, the Beatles. And everyone knows that love is so essential, but it's like, if, if you bought fully in to the mechanistic biochemical viewpoint of life, which is the foundation of Western reductionist science and medicine and the thinking of many of the folks who are leading the world astray. It's based on this biochemical reductionist molecular belief system that discounts any possibility of anything related to energy in life in the world and, and thereby the, the elimination of anything spiritual. Um, anything related to religion or faith or spirituality because they're not aware of the science that's been done, presumably, or they're you know, pursuing a separate agenda, which is understandable. Like you said, everyone has the right to share the misinformation they want and propagate their lies or desires. And it's just the, I think, the responsibility of every individual just to choose whether they're going to buy into that or not. And so one time I was speaking with a, a Qigong master, the, math, the teacher of a, a good friend of mine in Norway. And he asked me, you know, do you know what the force is? Maybe a better way even to add some more color to the picture was I was always wondering, you know, there's the thing we call the electromagnetic force, which is, you know, of course, the physics, the physicists discovered and, and sort of termed or coined the term, the electromagnetic force to describe 
one of the forces that was identified that holds things together and causes bonds between molecules. And it's really one of the fundamental forces, one of the four fundamental forces of physics. And some people argue that the electromagnetic force is actually fundamental to all of the other forces that like gravity and other stuff that they just don't know how those other forces manifest from the electromagnetic force. But some physicists argue that they, that they do. Um, and so whether the electromagnetic force is the only fundamental force or not, it's very fundamental to everything, right? And so I was just wondering for a long time, like really what is, what can we correlate on our higher level existence um, with, you know, we understand lots of things that at the realm of existence that you and I live at on a regular basis. We, we think of food and we think of different just things that we can see at a higher level within the human realm, right? Not the quantum realm. But I was, I was always wondering like that electromagnetic force, there's, there must be a corollary to it on the human experience, right? And so this Qigong master explained to me or just asked me, and he's a French Canadian guy, not like your average Buddhist or, or I should say Asian type of monk, a very interesting guy. And he asked, do you know what the force is that holds molecules and atoms together at their core? And I said, well, I mean, they, they say it's the electromagnetic force. I guess I'm not really sure. He said, it's love. I was like, oh. So, and it's like the whole world clicked. A lot of, not the whole world, but a lot of things clicked for me in that moment. Like, okay, God is love. God is light. You know, light is literally the electromagnetic force and that's physics as well. That's not disputed. Love is now from my understanding, a high level manifestation, or at least what we think of as love is a high level manifestation of the electromagnetic force. Like the love you might feel for your, your girlfriend or for someone, you know, someone you love. That's like the electromagnetic force you feel for that person in some sense, you know, you're really magnetized and drawn to that person. But at the foundation of the universe level, like the, you know, the force that holds atoms together and molecules together, that's the same force that drives us to love another human being, which I found fascinating. And it makes sense if you look at the world from a chemical perspective too, because, you know, as even though we're not as small as atoms are from the perspective of the universe, we are right. And what draws you together with your girlfriend or, or any person together with another human being? Like if you, if you were a giant alien looking at the world under a microscope, you would probably pretty naturally assume that the force that puts together the tiny pieces is the same force that's pulling together the slightly bigger pieces that are also tiny you know, relatively speaking. Anyway, so I think for the reason I bring this up is because lots of science-minded people are just going to discount that what you just said about, you know, love is light. But I, I like to add a little color because there's more physics to it than someone might initially think. So with that, I'd like to open the floor to you to kind of share any closing thoughts you would have for the listeners here. And in particular, if nothing that you want to share what would be like, could you assign one piece of life homework for everyone who's listening to this? If they want to go ahead and embody what, what you've taught, what would the one takeaway be that they can actually use? Dude, first off, I just want to celebrate you and, uh, and just tell you how special and amazing and brilliant you are. And I'm just so happy to have someone like you as a friend. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're you're really an amazing person and that was a a beautiful example of the the biggest mystery in the universe you know in existence is you know it, it's easy to say well god is love 
you know, well, what, what, what does that mean? But I, the example, the way you frame that has really got me really contemplating that it's, it's amazing. And, you know, it's funny because people, well, what, you know, what's God to you or what's love to you? See, these things are outside of the, they're out, they're so far outside of the realm of language because it can only be experienced and that which can truly be experienced can't be described. It can't be minimized by language. And that's when you know, people have profound spiritual experiences that transform their entire lives. It's, it's almost doing a discredit to the experience to try to explain it. And I think that is true of trying to minimize the force or the power rather of love by explaining what it is. It's just, it's the thing that you feel that has more power than anything else. And it's the the thing that gives life and is at the root of all creation. And so, um, yeah, so thank you for that. One piece, well, you know, what? I, one more thing you make me think is it's like, it's so, it's so powerful if we really work the analogy or that, not even, it's not an analogy, that's the thing, but it's like, it's like you can't compare apples and oranges. For example, what, what I'm, what's going through my head is love, you know, based on what we're talking about, love being the electromagnetic force and God too, being the electromagnetic force, the force that governs the universe, you know, governs the laws and determines and sets the laws of physics. If that's what God is and that's what love is, you know, like you said, love is only something you can feel. And so, and it works really well if, if you know, words are just a you know, oscillation of the vocal cords that makes an oscillation in the airwaves that we receive in our ears. And then we create a mental picture of it. But the analogy I was, I like, I love analogies to be able to take something. It'd be like trying to condense love into language would be like trying to condense a lightning bolt into a word on a piece of paper. Like it's just, it's two different things. You know, one is a a powerful and one is like, you can read it, but like, does it, correlate to the lightning bolt, you know, maybe it describes it, but it isn't the lightning bolt, you know? So I think there's a lot to that. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. So to answer your final question, and I, I just got a, a ping on my, um, my text that I had a meeting, uh, a couple minutes ago. So I'm going to get back, uh, <laughs> get back on that, you know, speaking of living in, in this world and, um, not being inconsiderate to other people living in this world, um, it's not as inconsiderate if you pay them <laughs> for their time, but still. Um, yeah, Maddie, in terms of uh, advice, I mean, you know, if there was, if there's one thing I think that really makes life worth living and that is the mm, the practice of living your life as a prayer, living a life that is a life of devotion, that's devoted to a higher purpose, however that looks for you. And in finding out what your purpose is, you first must find out who and what you are. And to find out who and what you are, you have to identify what you are not. And that goes back to what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about, it's not about the apprehension of more information and more data. It's about letting go of the falsehoods. And so having enough humility to open your mind and to 
even if just temporarily, suspend your preconceived notions, beliefs, the framework by which you've built your model of how you interact with the world, and to begin to explore the realms of metaphysics, of spirituality, to explore the teachings, the teachers, to identify universal fundamental truths and principles that are existent in and on the earth, as well as throughout all time and space and all dimensions. There are universal truths that are expressions of creation of God. And to begin to explore those with a curiosity and, um, and a docile, um, humble nature about you to become teachable, to become curious, to become passionate about learning truth. And at the same time, being willing to discard untruth as you uncover it about yourself, about the way that you relate to your life and to the world that in so doing you find your purpose you know, you find your mission, you find your calling, you find a way of operating in the world and contributing back to the world on which you live in a way that's meaningful, not only to you, but to others. And so that you become a net positive in your experience rather than a net negative. And living as a net positive, because you now have something to give, you have something to offer, because of course, you, you can't offer something that you don't have. If you ask me for $5, and I don't have $5, I don't have it to give. I'm still in survival. Once you get out of survival and you get into the realm that I'm describing, you have so much to give, so much to offer. We each have our individual personalized expression of God as manifest through us in this embodiment, in this personality, in the way that you're so curious and you so eloquently just broke down the nature of the universe. It's like, that's you, Maddie. That, that's your gift. That was created out of you, for you, by you with its origin being in the universal consciousness that made you the person, the mind, the brain, the heart, the energy, the spirit that was able to project that into the conversation. You know, that's what you have to contribute now because you own that out of your own curiosity and your own exploration, your own open-mindedness, you know, your own childlike nature. If we all can hang on to that childlike nature and actually nurture that, nurture that innocence and that curiosity and have a mind like water and be willing to explore, we can find what we're here to do and set about doing it. And when we find that, we're going to have the discipline, the wherewithal, the passion, the determination, the courage to execute because we know that we're on purpose. We're not shooting in the dark guessing, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, okay, I guess. Stop guessing. You know, the truth is there once we remove what it is that's obscuring the truth from our view. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on, Luke. With that, I think there's one thing I'll say to close this, which is a Bible verse from Matthew 6.22. And the New American Standard Translation is, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And I like that because it goes to everything we've spoken as you, and I, I thought of it and I actually had to look it up there is because, you know, to get it right, as you remove and remove and remove all of those things, as some masters would call it, the dust, the dust on our eye, as you remove all those kinks in the soul and all those false beliefs that you've spoken of that we take on, 
your eye can become clear. And when your eyes are clear, your whole body can be actually full of light because you're not disturbed. And that's that's my actually caption on Instagram because it resonates so much. But anyway, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, Luke. You are an amazing person and I appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom here today. It's, it's such a, a blessing to be able to have you on this podcast as a friend and as one of the first guests that people will be able to listen to. So thank you. 